to me, okay, to me. Ultimately, martial art means honestly expressing yourself. Now, it is very difficult to do. I mean, it is, it is easy for me to put on a show and be cocky yeah. and be flooded with a cocky feeling and then yeah. feel like pretty cool and all that. Or I can make all kinds of phony things, you see what I mean? Blinded by it. Or I can show you some really fancy movement. But to express oneself honestly, not lying to oneself, and to express myself honestly, not that, my friend, is very hard to do and you have to train you have to keep your reflexes so that when you want it it's there the expression of the human body i mean the everything i mean you know not just the hand and when you're talking about combat well i mean if, if it if it is a sport now now you're talking about something else you have regulations you have rules but when you're talking about fighting as it is no rules. with no rules no, no fighting well then baby you better train every part of your body I'm not surprised, mother... I'm not impressed by your performance. What's up? Where you at, George? I like Big Dumb McCartney pulling me about, folks. That's how I like to roll. You feel me? Nobody gonna take this bed. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm proud for fighting with you. For you. Don't bring the dog out of me. I'm the man of the hour, Joe. Too sweet to be sour. What you see is what you get, and what you don't is better yet. I fight for the fans. I wanted to keep fighting as long as it took, and I wanted to win this title. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. I did I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Running water never grows stale, so you gotta just keep on flowing. Welcome back, Penn Nation. This is yet another edition of BJPenn.com Radio. The fighter's voice, the voice of the fans. And as always, guys, we've got a great show lined up for you this evening. I'm your host, Kinch, each and every week, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We appreciate all the continued support. Thank you, thank you guys very much for tuning in, and we hope you uh, continue to tune in each and every Wednesday. Podcasts are updated on iTunes, iPod app, Stitcher, etc. Make sure you guys give them all a listen, subscribe. As I said, we are the fighter's voice and the voice of you guys, the fans, bjpen.com radio. A lot of news to get into, and as I said, a great lineup for this evening's show. But like I tell you guys each and every week, bjpen.com forward slash MMA news is your premier source for all the latest and greatest and the sport you love that I love of mixed martial arts. All the hot button issues, hot topics, all the need to know stuff, viral videos. If it's important, if it's newsworthy, bjpen.com has got you covered. A lot of new stuff on the horizon. I'm sure you guys have seen technique breakdown videos. There'll be lots more of that to come. Very cool stuff. We are the largest independently owned and operated MMA news site out there today. We're very proud of it. And as I said, we greatly appreciate all the support out there 
from Penn Nation. So bjpenn.com slash MMA news. Go there now. Get up to date on this wonderful sport of mixed martial arts. We won't let you down. You guys know it. So as I said, ton of news to get into. A lot, lot going on this week and over the weekend with uh, International Fight Week. But tonight's lineup. Three awesome guests. Kicking things off tonight. Round 8.15 Eastern Time, 5.15 Pacific. We'll be joined by 1FC welterweight champ. A man who is widely regarded as the best grappler in MMA. Certainly the best wrestler in mixed martial arts. Of course, I'm talking about Ben Askren. They call the man Funky. He's coming off of a big performance in May. Defending his championship in 1FC. First round submission. Guy's grappling skills are unrivaled so far. Has yet to meet a real test. Undefeated in mixed martial arts and looks to continue to stay that way. Has a fight announcement coming up soon. We talk a little bit about it. Believe he drops the name. Can't drop us the official date just yet. Still in the works. But we get his take on a lot of the current issues going on in the sport. Talk about uh, fighter associations, where he sees the sport going, the exodus from the UFC, as you've heard us call it here on the show many times, the mass exodus, if you will, from the UFC. And of course, we talk about what it's like working for 1FC and being a star in the Asian market, which is something that a lot of guys from America and the West, they can't say. And Ben can't say that. Great interview with him. Of course, we talk about working with uh, Tyron Woodley leading up to the Stamian Maya fight. We get his take and prediction on that one. And much, much more. Very intelligent guy. One hell of a coach. Actually, uh, when we spoke to Ben earlier today, he's out, I believe he said Wisconsin. State tournament if I'm not mistaken, uh, for his wrestlers. And one hell of a coach, as I said, even better competitor. Uh, I know you guys will enjoy that conversation. Second guest coming up about 840, give or take. As I put in the description here, last-minute addition to the show, this uh, fine gentleman, good friend of BJPenn.com, actually hit me up today a couple hours ago, said he had some stuff he wanted to talk about. And as always, when you get an opportunity to talk with this guy, you got to take it. He's a well of knowledge. Of course, I'm talking about Dwayne Bang Ludwig. We're going to recap the tough uh, 25 finale, get his take on JT Money's performance. We'll get the latest on what's going on with TJ Dillashaw. Last time we had Dwayne on, TJ was campaigning for the Demetrius Johnson fight, as we all know. Demetrius put the kibosh on that. That fight is not happening. However, we'll get the latest on what's up with TJ. Will he be waiting for Cody to recover, get that title shot that is long overdue? Yes, he will. We'll get all the details on that and much more. Dwayne has a pretty pretty cool announcement to make on the show. I'll save that. Let a little suspense build. But awesome stuff for... For Dwayne, Bang Muay Thai, and a lot of athletes out there. 
Always an awesome conversation. One of the most brilliant minds in the business. Obsessive and very passionate about martial arts. And as I say in the interview, modern day ninja trainer extraordinaire. extraordinaire. Quality reps. Closing out tonight's show. It's a long one. Awesome conversation. It's the first time I had the opportunity to speak with this gentleman. Almost ran about an hour. I had to split it up, so we'll, uh, for, you know, for sake of, of upload file size, hopefully that doesn't become an issue. Also, guys, before I get into this last guest, there's a flash flood warning out here. So if for any reason, loud thunder, I cannot control the will of nature. My apologies in advance if it does happen. What I am praying for so we don't have a power outage. However... They said torrential downpours around 5.30 throughout, you know, mid-evening out here on the East Coast. Hasn't really been too much yet. I doubt it will be. But fair warning. Anyway, final guest for the night. Closing out the show. As I said, awesome guy. Former middleweight champion in the UFC. A legend of the sport. Another one of the most intelligent guys in the business. Who is now acting vice president for 1FC. Of course, I'm talking about Rich Franklin. Long conversation. We touch on all kinds of stuff in depth. But the gist of it is talking about the Asian markets, how 1FC has been able to dominate those Asian markets and really build that promotion up to what maybe us on the West, we don't recognize it as as a huge promotion, but it is a real big deal in the East. And they're taking it by storm only a matter of time before slowly creeps its way West and, and uh, American fans and Western fans jump on the one FC uh, bandwagon, if you will talk about talent acquisition. We get his thoughts on, on legends competing in the sport when they should hang them up a whole ton of stuff. Really awesome conversation with rich and uh, greatly appreciate all the time that he gave us for this, this episode talk about Mayweather McGregor as we do with all three of these guests and probably most important to all the listeners out there, the hypothetical possibility of rich coming out of retirement for a fight. You'll hear about all that and much, much more with rich ace Franklin, rich ace Franklin closing out the show tonight, right around 9 PM Eastern. So for sake of time, I'm going to try to blast through some news. As always, you guys want to learn more about this news and all the stuff that I missed because there's a ton that I missed. Just getting the highlights, bjpen.com forward slash news. That's the place to go. We had a great weekend of fights. International Fight Week had some controversy, had some problems, but all in all, it delivered, in my opinion, had some great fights. As I mentioned, JT Money, Jesse Taylor, captured the tough 25 crown, crown with a rear naked choke over Diego Lima. Great performance on his behalf. Anthony Pettis, triumphant in his return to lightweight. Big win over a very tough Jim Miller. Of course, this is UFC 214 I'm, I'm talking about now. Alistair Overeem got the decision over Fabricio over Doom. Settled that trilogy, but of course... Not without a little controversy, 
Some people gave it to Verdum. Others gave it to Overeem. In my personal opinion, if you gave Verdum the third round as a 10-8, fight should have been a draw. Overeem winning the first two, 28-28 on the scorecards. I believe one judge had it that way. Uh, so Overeem was given the majority decision. Kind of closes out that trilogy, but again, not without some controversy. Big news from Saturday. Amanda Nunes withdrawing from the fight against Valentina Shevchenko. Super last minute. Dana White threw her under the bus, said she was medically cleared to fight, but decided not to on her own accord. The internet went after her. Kind of unfair to do so. After we learned that she has chronic sinusitis. I'm not going to try to say that fast. And, you know, to go along with our own Tom Taylor on this one, apparently he's had this condition. I know I've had sinus problems, sinus infections, never had sinusitis, but that stuff sucks. (laughs) Not a pleasant thing at all. So while it definitely sucks for the fans and even more so for Valentina, I kind of give Amanda the pass on this one. Biggest test of her career, of her career as the champion and uh, you certainly want to be 100% taking on somebody as dangerous as Valentina. Uh, we also learned that, that Ioannion Jacek offered to take the fight, step in on super short notice. However, she wasn't able to get the medicals done, so forth. I know the, fights re- the, the fans would have really enjoyed that fight, and what a way to step up to the plate and try to save a card. Um, and obviously, in the main event, which became the main event, Following the withdrawal of Amanda Nunes, Nunes, Yoel Romero, Robert Whitaker, go the distance. Whitaker puts on an incredible performance, underdog performance at that, captures the interim title. Apparently had a had a had a banged up knee from the beginning of the fight, and uh, you could see it was one of those sidekicks forward on the knee. You see a lot of guys from Jackson's camp use this kick. However, Yoel used it and apparently jacked up uh, Robert's knee. Looked damn good for the remaining four rounds after that. So hats off to him. Incredible performance. Australia has its first ever UFC champion, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, big things on the horizon for him. Yoel, very gracious in defeat. But, of course, Michael Bisping comes in, brings some heat, causes some drama. And we all know what happened there with, with the belt and so forth. However, guys, the biggest winner of International Fight Week, without a doubt, has to be Justin the Highlight Gaethje. Not only did he prove that he's one of the best in the world, coming in from an organization where people were saying he had no business fighting a top 10 guy like Michael Johnson, finished a very durable guy in Michael Johnson, and put on one hell of a show while he did it. You're going to hear me talk about this with, with Dwayne, but... Longevity, not likely something he should be looking at with his fighting style, but goddamn, is that fun to watch. Sky's the limit for the kid as long as his chin can hold up. And uh, even Conor McGregor himself congratulated him on Twitter after the fight. Very cool stuff. Uh, Man, what a way to make a debut. So that's the recap of the weekend. I know I'm missing missing some stuff, but again, bjpen.com forward slash MMA news. We've got you covered on all of that in-depth and all of the results, so forth and so on, post-fight press conferences, etc. But speaking of Connor, biggest news, obviously, this week, 
Began yesterday with the kickoff of the Mayweather-McGregor World Tour. Very awkward stuff in the beginning. Seemed like Connor was you know, almost purposely caught off guard by the Showtime production team on several occasions. Uh, you know, they cut off his mic while Floyd was giving his speech. You know, Connor was trying to uh, uh, refute his claims. And, of course, they cut off his mic, sent him out there early to just kind of stand there in front of a crowd of 20,000 people for however long. Weird stuff. Connor even said he wasn't used to it. But huge crowd pop for Connor. The mind games have only just begun. I haven't had a chance to watch the highlights from the uh, press tour as of today. They were in Toronto today. But the stuff that I did see looks like it was very interesting. And for the most part, people were giving this round to Connor. The most interesting stuff from yesterday, though, <laughs> definitely comes post fight individual press conferences. Floyd Sr. Floyd Sr. and Connor go back and forth. Really funny stuff on Connor's behalf. Uh, that was his highlight of, of yesterday for sure. Uh, and honestly, I mean, e- even the first face off, they're talking trash to each other. I know you have to watch uh, some different feeds to, to, to hear that audio. But it looked like Floyd was getting legitimately upset to me. Connor was definitely out of his element, for sure. And you got you got to tip your hat to to, to Floyd on that one on, on the first show in in Los Angeles. But looked like he was getting pretty pissed off when they were talking trash at the stare down. So, as I said, mind games have just begun. I can only imagine where this is going to go as it as we lead up to August twenty sixth. And also, the other huge highlight of that, Connor's suit with the fuck you pinstripes. Only Connor McGregor. Very funny stuff. So much I haven't had a chance to cover, guys, for the sake of time. We've got a really big show lined up here tonight. But you guys all know where to go for everything mixed martial arts to stay up to date and stay in the know. Of course, that's bjpen.com forward slash MMA news. Go there now while you listen. Catch up. We've got a great team putting out great content every single day of the week. All that and much more, bjpen.com forward slash MMA news. So we're going to jump right into it again for sake of time. Going to be running the tight ship this evening. We're kicking things off with 1FC welterweight champ Ben Askren. Funky Ben Askren. What a great nickname, by the way. I think not, a lot of guys go for intimidation and stuff like that with their nickname. I always appreciate when a guy has a funny nickname. Not to say that Funky is even funny, but I call my uncle Uncle Funk, so I appreciate this nickname. Nonetheless, great conversation with him. I know you guys will enjoy it. We're going to jump right into that right now. BJPenn.com Radio. I'm your host, Kinch. Kicking things off with Ben Askren. All right, Penn Nation. We're now joined by one of the greatest grapplers in mixed martial arts today, 1FC welterweight champ. Of course, I'm talking about the funky one, Ben Askren. Ben, what's going on, man? Uh, right now, I am uh, I'm in northern Wisconsin. We have uh, the cadet and junior freestyle and Greco nationals are starting on Friday or maybe Saturday. Maybe Saturday in Fargo, North Dakota. So uh, we're doing the team with cops and training camp, and then we're headed up to North Dakota uh, in a couple of days. Now, are these all athletes competing out of the uh, Askren Academy? Um, well, so it's the whole state of Wisconsin, but I think we uh, – uh, 33 guys that will be representing Team Wisconsin from Ask Ref, I get it. Okay, cool. 
Now, uh, I'd imagine you're in the gym daily, but, you know, coaching is obviously a passion for you. Um, a lot of guys say that coaching is the best way to keep your own great game sharp. I'm wondering, would you agree with that? Um, well, that's a tough question. I'm going to say yes and no to that at the same time. Um, you know, I, it is kind of a distraction from your own training because if you're really into the coaching, you know, you're thinking about what, what needs to do, what needs to happen for your athlete's most success, which isn't always what's best for you, per se, as a competitor. Um, but then at the same time, you know, I, I'll go way back when I started doing Camp Cedar when I was 19, 20, when I was having success in college. I really think that helped me a lot because what I had to do was I had to explain the to, uh, sport of wrestling to other people, right? And so what it did was it, it gave me a distinctly deeper sense of what I needed to do and, and the right way to do it. And, and so it led me to a significantly better understanding of the sport, right? And then I guess the thing that happened in MMA when I was coaching wrestling for MMA for you know for a lot of the guys I was coaching, um, same thing happened. So I couldn't just do the things I was doing. I had to explain why they were working to people. And, you know, sometimes they'd be like, well, you were explaining it, and they'd be like, oh, wait, I could do it this way, and that would probably be more effective, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it was, uh, it was something obvious that you just that you just weren't doing because you hadn't thought about it. And then once you would start thinking about it, you, you can't do a better understanding of the situation. Now, is coaching's got to be, what, a full-time gig for you outside of fighting? Not quite. I, um, I, I will make it a full-time gig once my fighting career is over. Uh, and at some points, you know, like when I get done with my fights and, and I kind of scale back on the training, I'll, I'll coach a little more full-time, but then once I start getting close to my fights, I'll, I'll start cutting back on my hours and, and do less of it um, so I can kind of focus on myself more. Okay. Now, speaking of coaching, uh, we had uh, the champ Tyron Woodley on the show last week. He mentioned working oh, nice. with you uh, quite a bit recently at Rufus Sport. What's it like working with uh, Woodley on the regular? Well, I mean, you know, Tyra and I go way back, obviously. We've known each other uh, probably since I was 17 years old. Um, you know, the, my senior year when I would go on my recruiting trips to Missouri and stuff. So, uh, it's great. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to finally help him because he's been fighting, I think, Stephen Thompson. And, you know, I, me and Stephen Thompson's fighting styles have no resemblance to each other whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I, I can rest with him, but it's not like... Me wrestling with him is going to be relevant to a Stephen Thompson fight that much, right? Yeah. Um, whereas the Damian Maya fight, that that's right up my alley because you know all the wrestling things that Damian does, I can do better, right? And you know maybe I can't do the ground stuff quite as well as Damian, but I can still give him a really good look there. So um, yeah, it was nice to be able to finally like uh, be able to be a real help for him um, in one of his fights. Now, you know, given that you're working with him so closely leading up to this fight with Maya, give us your take on the matchup. You know, do you think he'll be able to stop the ground game of Maya should it hit the floor? Oh, uh, I mean, I don't, the thing is I don't think it's going to hit the floor. That's the thing about it. Um, you know, I, I just Damian Maya's takedowns are um, they're basic, you know, and he, he just, you know, one of the things he does well is he, he really sticks with it, right? But if you think about if you look through his recent run of success, he hasn't really had to fight any high-level wrestlers. Mm. Um, and, you know, even George Masvidal, who has, uh, I want to say no wrestling backgrounds. I, I don't want, I, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I don't think he has any kind of wrestling background, um, was able to stop some of the takedowns, you know? And so, 
then when you look at Tyron Woodley, who has a very strong wrestling background, uh, I just don't see a scenario in which Damian Maya is able to get Tyron on the ground. True, true. I mean, I know that was the thing that he was highlighting when he spoke with us. It was more about stopping the takedown, not even getting to the floor, yeah. and uh, you know, avoiding that that scenario altogether. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, and you know, one of the things that Tyron and I were working on a lot, it wasn't just obviously we were doing some where we were just sparring, and I was trying to, and and I hated it because I'm not a I'm not a lefty. You know, Damien fights lefty most of the time and shoots a single to uh, to Damien's right side, and um, you know, I don't fight that way, so that, that was kind of frustrating. But so you know, even past that, we would we would. I would put myself, I'd put him in the situations where Damien gets to, whether it's, a, you know, a head and side on, a, on the knee, a head and side on the feet, um, a body lock, which he tries. And, you know, and even in those positions, Tyron's really good in all those positions. So I feel like even if Damien gets past, you know, the first and second level defense, the movement, and the sprawl, um, say he even gets to the leg and gets in a decent position, I still feel like even from there, or even from a body lock, he's not going to get the takedown. And so that's why, um, you know, even if you were to ask me before, I was working with him last week, I would have said Damien's going to have a hard time getting a takedown. Now I just, I can't foresee a scenario in which Damien gets a takedown. Okay. So safe to say, based on your expertise, it's going to be a long night for Damien. Um, it is. You know, and the, well, you know, and the one thing I would worry about is, and, you know, I think Tyron, people have made this criticism of Tyron is that Tyron um, has gotten tired in a few of his fights, which is, uh, you know, that, that's fair. But if you look at Damien, it's not like Damien Maya's got a great gas tank. I mean, look look at the Masvidal fight. Look at the look at the Rory McDonald fight. You know, Rory, he, he gassed after one round against Rory McDonald. He got tired against George Masvidal. So, you know, that, that'd be the other angle that I think people would take is to say, hey, Damien's going to go wear tired out, but Damien doesn't have a great gas tank. He just doesn't. So, um, you know, I think that plays a factor into it also. So, obviously, there's a ton of topics to discuss with you here, but but let's trans- transition to your own career. You're coming off uh, yeah, another dominant performance that ended with the submission back in May, still undefeated. Do you have a timetable for your return to action? Uh, I do. With, with I do. I've actually already signed the, I have already signed the contract, but I have not at liberty to say when it is, but I'm thinking they will uh, they will hopefully be announcing that soon. So that's exciting. All right, very good. What's it been like working with the promotion? You know, uh, there are a lot of clear they're, – they're clearly the premier organization in Asia. Asia. It must be a pretty cool yeah. thing for you to get that kind of exposure in a market that most Westerners can't get the kind of exposure, exposure in. Yeah, um – yeah, it's been mostly good. Obviously, the you know the time period where where I was um, not able to fight, you know, there there was there was a few issues there, but uh, overall, it's been pretty solid. Very good, very good. Uh, you know, with guys like Rich Franklin, Matt Hume working behind the scenes, I'd imagine you feel like you're in good hands. What's it been like working with those guys? Uh, I get along very well with both those guys. Um, you know, I don't have a huge amount of interaction with Rich Franklin. I, I interact with Matt Hume, um, probably the most frequently of anyone within one championship. And, uh, you know, the, the best thing about Matt is he's a straight shooter. He doesn't bullshit you. So, you know, when he gives you an answer, you know that that's the answer. Yeah, straightforward guy. Uh, now, listen, mm-hmm. I saw a post-fight after your last fight. I believe it was from Front Row Brian. He said something along the <laughs> lines that, that you were gifted a Lamborghini for the win. Is that true at all? 
No, that was fake news. But a lot of people <laughs> took it as true news. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, wow, man, they're really taking care of their guys over there. That was nice. Maybe, you know, maybe it did get a lot of publicity, so maybe they'll get a good idea and uh, maybe they'll give me a real Lambo this fight. <laughs> I certainly hope so as well. So, that being said, what do you think sets 1FC apart from other promotions that are out there? You know, what would you say to a free agent that's considering a, a contract with the company? Sure. Um, you know, they're obviously the biggest in Asia, and, you know, Asia is a huge market and it's growing. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people are, are very American-centric. And they, they always, I always get asked, when do they come to America? And it's like, well, they don't really have any competition in Asia, and there's 4 billion people in Asia, and there's so much competition in America. Why would they want, you know, why would they want to come here? There's only 400 million people in, in really in North America. So, um, you know, I, I guess that would be the upside. Is, you know, the, and, and Pride was gigantic um, in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. If, if you look at the ratings that Pride did in Japan and other places, it was like, it's like freaking mind-blowing. I don't know if you've ever seen those statistics before. Um so I really think, you know, once had, they've, had, they've had kind of some setbacks, but I think they can recreate that. And I, I know um, for a fact that their TV rating this year in 2017 have been gigantic. Um, I know the show that I just did was, was huge ratings. Um, and so I think, I think that's probably, uh, they're going to be a huge up-and-coming organization. Without question. And as I mentioned there, definitely have the Asian market on lock. I mean, nobody's doing the type of business that they are there. Um, you know, groundbreaking TV deals, et cetera. But, you know, all that considered, many hardcore fans and media, myself included, we've been holding out hope that, that one day you would get, you know, maybe a UFC contract and display your skills against the biggest names in the sport, in the West anyway. You know, some would even say that it's a crime if you don't get to compete against these guys. Why do you think that the UFC has never pursued you for their roster? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the free agent, my free agency period in 2013 has been pretty well documented. Um, you know, so if anyone wants to read up that, they can read up on that. But, you know, now the thing is, I, I, you know, there's no difference between, I think I've been as high as number five or number six in, in world ranking. But to me, there's not really a difference between number two and number six, right? And the only difference is, is number one. And in order to do that, I, I'd have to beat Tyrant. And I really have no interest in fighting Tyrant. Um, you know, he's got the belt. He's a close friend. And some people say they got no issue with fighting friends, but... Um, with, with as many people in the world that I don't like, I'd rather fight them than, <laughs> than, than the, you know, there's not a lot of people in the welterweight division I'm friends with. I'm friends with a couple of them. Um, and, and I would not want to fight my friends. I, I, I would much rather fight people I don't like. And, you know, so obviously there's no path number one while Tyrant's there. And, you know, if, if it was Robbie or if it was Johnny, when they were the champions, obviously I was calling them out and harassing them and badgering them. But now that's just not, obviously not the case. Yeah, I, I know how that goes when you work within the camp. You know, you guys don't even want to uh, 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 tease that idea. But, you know, speaking of the best in the world, when it comes to grappling and, and MMA, you're widely regarded as the best, man. You know, that being said, I'm sure you have no doubt in your mind that you could not only compete with some of the best in the UFC, but be very dominant against the elite at 170 as well. Oh, 100%. Hypothetically, you know, what would be a dream matchup for you outside of 1FC? You know, contracts, promotions aside, what fighter would you most like to compete against if you were given the choice? Um, you know, I, I think two fights are interesting. I, I think the Damian Maia fight is interesting for the fact that, um, 
for the fact that, you know, he's a very high-level grappler as well, and it'd be really interesting to see how the styles make fights, and I think that's a, a grappler's fantasy fight, you know? And then the other one that I think would make me look really good is Stephen Thompson, because obviously he's very, very highly regarded, and I think his skill set, set matches up terribly against my, my skill set. I think I, I, I dominate that fight from start to finish, really in, in every single position. Um which means I'm on top uh, you know, for the entire fight, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah, so I think that would just really showcase what I have to offer. Uh, now give us your thoughts on the potential return of uh, GSP. You know, there's been a lot of buzz around this. Would you he have... ain't coming back. That's bullshit. <laughs> Say he Let's might... stop talking about it. It's been 2013, dog. If you're, it, it, you've been talking about it for the last four years. Either you're going to do it or not, right? Piss or get off the pot. Agreed, agreed, and it seems like he's just been yeah. teasing the fans with this for so long, but, I mean, would, would you rather have I don't even fight... want to talk about it uh, Okay, fair enough, fair enough, we'll move on. Um, yeah. it's speak... ridiculous, like, seriously, why have you been talking about it for four years? If you want to do something, it's a freaking phone call away. Very true, very true. Um, moving, o- moving away from that, then, speaking, you know, talking about big draws, biggest spectacle in the sport right now that we've ever seen, just kicked off yesterday. Of course, I'm talking about Mayweather McGregor. Oh, God. You, know, I, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at this fight as a freak show and, and you know, just a way for all parties yeah. to cash in on a big payday, the sale of the UFC, yeah. Mayweather's tax problems, so forth. What's your take on this fight? Yeah. Does McGregor stand a chance, and is it good or bad for either sport? I think you nailed it. I'm going to go next topic again, uh, and I think you nailed it. It's a cash grab for everybody involved. All right, fair enough. Um, sticking with the sale of the UFC, you know, the company's been losing a lot of big-name talent left and right. Um, most recently, and arguably the biggest name, was Gegard Mousasi. You know, in your opinion, why are so many athletes leaving the promotion? Is it the Reebok deal, the direction the company's going with the new ownership, USADA, combination of all those things? Why do you think guys are continuing to uh, to leave the promotion? Yeah. Um, you know, and listen, I don't want to say I'm a... I'm a future teller, but I did I did say this was going to happen all the way back in 2013 when that dipshit Kenny Rice cut me off on, uh, on what was that? I can't remember what the damn show has been called. It, Inside it's MMA. canceled now. Yeah. Yes, correct. That's the name of the show. Um, so I, I called this, and you know, it was, people were, uh, people were in the UFC because, you know, there was a, a distinct time period for two or three years that when what they had was essentially a monopoly on the sport. You know, there was there was no one else that who was ability, able or willing to uh, to pay the kind of money that they were paying. And so, you know, the UFC had a monopoly on the talent. Uh, and now, obviously, you know, Bellator's going, one championship's going, so there are there are other homes for fighters. And Dana's never treated anybody well. I, you know, I've always said this, I've said, Dana is in it for Dana, and that's it. There's there's literally no one who, if they don't do the right things, won't get thrown under, under the bus, right? He's thrown GSP under the bus. He's thrown Tyler Woodley under the bus. He just threw Amanda Nunez under the bus, right? And maybe sometimes they deserve it. Like, I thought the Amanda Nunez thing was weird. But sometimes it's just because that's what Dana wants to do, and that's what happens, right? And so... Um, you know, when when that kind of, when that thing happens, and then you have other options, you're going to take other options. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing happen now. People are taking other options because um, when when all everything's equal, no one wants to work with Dana. And I and I'll say, as far as business is concerned, you know, to me, it appears that I think that Lorenzo had a gigantic effect on where that you know 
the direction that the UFC would take. And, you know, maybe Dana was the one that was more publicly out there, but I think uh, Lorenzo was really pushing the buttons behind the scenes, if you will. Um, and now, you know, under WMEIMG, I feel like... Uh, I feel like they've lost a little bit of their direction. I feel like, you know, they're kind of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And, um, you know, it's not going all that well for them. Yeah, you know, you touched on it there. Uh, competition is clearly better for everybody, all the athletes, even the promotions the as fighters, well. fighters, for sure. You know, you know, Bellator, Ryzen, 1FC, so on. However, there's been a lot of talk about fighter associations, collective bargaining, all that stuff in the past year. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, given your opinion on, uh, you know, the monopoly side of things, where do you stand on the idea of fighter associations and uh, collective bargaining for the athletes? Um, You know, I, I think the... The very, the very best scenario, which is there's a lot of a lot of promoters who are willing to pay a lot of money. I think that's the best scenario for everybody. Now that being said, uh, I don't know that you're going to guarantee that that's going to happen uh, in perpetuity. So you know, I think something like a fighters union or a fighters, probably a fighters association, is your most likely your best bet. Um, I think something like that taking place would be a very good thing for the fighter. You know, just when you look at other major league organizations, whether it's uh, Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA, NFL, the players take home roughly 50% of the revenue, which uh, the only reason that's the case is because that they have organizations in place to enforce that, right? Yeah. Collective marketing, essentially. Fight, you know, when you look at the UFC, and it's a private entity, so no one knows for sure. But estimates are... Uh, Estimates are eight to fourteen percent, right? So even if you go on the high end of the estimate, fourteen percent, it's nowhere close to fifty. Um, and so athletes are getting jacked out of money. And then you know, obviously, as a fighter, as someone who feels for the athletes, um, I would like to see athletes taking on more of the money. I agree with you a hundred percent there. Um, and you know, it seems to be the 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 uh, consistent opinion of most athletes. Collective bargaining is likely the way to go. However, it's how it's implemented that's the really important part. Um, yes. But listen, Ben, you've been more than generous with your time. I just got a couple more questions here for you. Getting back to your cool. own career with uh, 1FC, realistically, man, how many times are you, ex- are you expecting to, co- to compete before year's end? I want to compete at least twice more. Okay. And like I said, I've, t- I've signed, although I can't announce the first one, I've signed for the first one, uh, and hopefully that will be announced soon. All right, very good. We look forward to that announcement. I'm wondering, though, has there been difficulty finding you opponents to keep you active, or has there been, like, other circumstances um, keeping you out of competition? No, one, one, no one, none, of these, none of these assholes wanted to sign the contract, and both the assholes who were supposed to sign the contract, now we've both lost since then, <laughs> so I don't have to deal with them anymore. Um, that being one Vitaly Big Dash and one Luis Santos. So, um, so now, you know, Aguantani was the one who signed last time. I beat him up, and now I'm going to fight the guy who, who TKO'd Luis Santos, um, who's, uh, his last name's Catastam. So I'm fighting him next. Um, but, yeah, that, I mean, that was a, a real pain in the ass, is that those guys, uh, you know, they weren't, they weren't willing to sign the contract to do the fight. That was kind of holding things up. So, uh, you know, assuming that, it, that there wasn't difficulty getting guys to sign the contract to fight you, Ideally, how many fights would you like to have within a 12-month period of time? Uh, you know, three, three or four would be great. Um, you know, I joked that I could fight every month because I never take any damage. And, you know, I, and I did that in Bellator uh, between 2010 when I went to the tournament. I, I took zero damage, and I fought in April, May, and June, all three months. Um, so, you know, I don't know that they'll be 
able to find me opponents in that short of order where they're finding me opponents every single month. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to be active. I'm healthy. Um, I'm 32 right now, so, you know, I don't have a, too many years left to my prime. So I'm, re- I'm just ready to fight. Now, so that being said, uh, you know, with this fight announcement coming up soon, the date as well, what can all the funky Ben Askren fans expect from you moving forward? And uh, where can everybody find you on social media? Domination, as always. And you can find me at Ben Askren on Twitter and Ben Askren on Facebook. All right, very good. Listen, man, I know you got a birthday coming up. I hope you have a very good birthday. We look forward to the next fight and having you back on the show, hopefully in the future. Any shout-outs you'd like to get in before we let you go? Nope, that's going to be it for the day. You guys have a great night, and I will uh, talk to you later. All right, my friend. Greatly appreciate it. Yep. Bye-bye. Sorry about that, guys. I accidentally muted myself. There you have it. Funky Ben Askren. Very intelligent guy. Really cool to speak with. That was another first for the show. First for me, anyway, as an interviewer. Really enjoyed speaking with him. Very realistic take on the sport. The direction it's headed. You heard it all there. BJPenn.com radio. The fighter's voice. But we got to keep it rolling for sake of time here. As I said, spent a lot of time with our friend Rich Franklin. So we're going to jump right into it with our second guest for the evening. Very good friend of BJPenn.com, Dwayne Bang Ludwig. We'll be talking about Tough, the season finale, JT Money's win. We'll be talking about McGregor, Mayweather. Also, I forgot to mention there, sorry about that. You know, I said we spoke about that with, with all all of our guests this evening. However, you could see there, Ben didn't really have much to say. <laughs> so, uh, but nonetheless, we'll get into that with Dwayne and a lot more. As always, one of the best minds in the business. Always a pleasure to speak with him. We're going to jump into that right now. BJPenn.com radio, the fighter's voice, the voice of the fans. I'm your host, Kinch. Up next, Dwayne Bang Ludwig. All right, Penn Nation, we're now joined by Ninja Trainer Extraordinaire, one of the best in the business, Dwayne Bang Ludwig. Welcome back to the show, Dwayne. How is life in Colorado? Life in Colorado is amazing. It's good to be home, it's good to be around my family, have my own academy, and, uh, you know, things run smooth. It's just life is, life is nice. Now, I know you've got some stuff you wanted to discuss, but before we get into that, there's a bunch of topics I figured we'd we, we touch on since we've got you on the show here last minute. First up, yes, sir. the ultimate fighter. We saw the finale on Friday night. Both Team Dillashaw guys were in the final. What did you think of JT Money's performance? JT Money did what he needed to do and what he typically does. He pushes the pace, he gets him in the face, he gets him on the ground, and he finishes it. Um, it's hard to it's hard that you know it's hard to to fight or to uh, it's hard to lose your wrestler. You know you have to be a better wrestler than than. And JT to actually defend the takedowns or to put him on his back and catch him in a transition. So you got to be on point if you're going to fight him. And Jake looked sharp. He looked sharp. He was looking to drop JT. I don't think he should have followed him to the ground. That was one of a mistake, obviously. But, uh, you know, the fight turned out as it is. It's working with both those guys on the team and having them run up the old drills in our combinations from the system, they really picked up on it. And I was curious to see how, which 
direction if those guys are going to take one of the fucking cameras, they're going to be using the information or abandoning it or what, what direction they're going to go. And with JP, actually, to my Colorado, just trained for a little bit. And, you know, you're always curious of what they're going to do fight night. And, uh, you know, he did what he needed to do. That's always uh, push the pace and get it to the ground. No, I know Jeff. I get excited. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. <laughs> hey, man, always a pleasure. I mean, I love the excitement, clear passion for the sport and martial arts in general. Like I've always said, there needs to be a lot more guys like you out there. But uh, I know Jesse I had uh, I know Jesse had Matt Brown in his corner. But I'm wondering, you know, yes, what was your stance on on cornering, and, and you know, was it difficult for you as a coach to see two guys that you would work with closely leading up to this throw down with so much at stake? Nice, good question. You know, I don't have. I, I realize I'm training people to become better martial artists, right? And when the time comes, whether they're going to be drilling, sparring, or fighting in the cage, it's just for them to get better. So it's always an ultimate test to see what your better self is. So it's not necessarily wanting one guy to win more than the other, but for them just to have a good a good fight and uh, come out better than when the fight started, you know? And so I don't necessarily, necessarily get mostly attached, you know? But I do actually. I get, you know, you form bombs with your, with your, uh, with your ninjas. But um, there was no... Uh, you know, I, I know both guys, they both train with me. Is there any leading favoritism towards one side or another? No, I guess it would ride along the lines of, like, it's business, but not really business, I guess. But, yeah. you know, it's going to come out for, they're both going to grow. We're all going to grow from it. So it needs to happen. It's part of evolution. Yeah. yeah. So now that the season's over, you know, give us your summation of, of your time on the show. I know we've discussed it quite a bit already, you know, overall in previous uh, times we've had you on the show. But what was the experience like for you overall? And give us some of your favorite moments. Experience overall was awesome to work with such a committed group of guys. You know, they're all seasoned veterans, and it was nice to just to be able to be a part of their journey, help them get their their careers. Their, I'm not sure their lives, but their their careers back on track. You know, that's why we were there to form a team, form a bond, help them get better, and that's exactly what happened. And it was nice to have so many seasoned veterans again. And for them to be open-minded and to – well, we, we met in the middle. You know, it's not like everything you've done in the past, forget that you're doing my stuff, and it's not uh, – you're not doing any of my stuff, we'll do everything you've done in the past. We met in the middle as a good student and a good coach or trainer should do is just meet the, meet the athletes in the middle, right? So um, it, was, it was an awesome experience. You know, it made me realize how much I like working with a good team of athletes and ninjas and I'm looking to do more of that, start opening my doors to allow more people to come to the Bangwood Thai headquarters in Colorado and have me help guide them on their journeys and, you know, take the fight path and put the system to the test and help them become the, the best martial artists they can be. Uh, but some of the best moments is obviously winning every, you know, 99% of the fights. It sucked that Joe Stevenson got caught twice, but uh, obviously we won every every other fight and every other competition and coin toss. It was just, it worked out like, as it should have, I guess, you know, like the good guys always come out, you know, on top of the end. And, uh, it was just, uh, it was fun. It was relieving. It was rewarding. It was, it was awesome to see TJ take the reins and, and to be a coach and be a, a teacher and to see him break it all down. And he truly understands the game. And that's one of the reasons why he earned his black bone to me, because he's obviously a ninja in the cage, but can he teach the information? Yeah. Well, it was proven he sure can. Now, you mentioned opening your doors there. That I, I know that's the, the news we want to discuss here. But before we get to that, man, the main event at the tough finale was really something special. Justin Gaethje did what he always does, really made the most of his debut guy. against Michael Johnson. Give us your thoughts on the fight. 
that fight, man, Cal, is just a, a typical Gaethje fight, right? Just, you know, in the guy's face, just throwing bombs and taking punches and just making it a brawl. And I love that kid. I love his heart. You know, he's got one of the best trainers I've ever, ever crossed paths with, Tre- uh, Coach Trevor Whitman, who was my coach for a while, for, for a long time, still is. I, I love that guy. I, I'm, I understand the game so much more because of Trevor's guidance. And I don't ever give him enough credit, but that guy had a massive influence on, on my career. And uh, and he's proven to be just such an awesome trainer because now Luffy Gaethje, he's one of the top UFC guys. I think he's top ten. I think he's number six right now or five now. I think he's up. He's in the top ten as he should be, and that's partly because of Trevor Whitman. Uh, but going back to what I think about the fight, it was amazing. I was just screaming at the TV. I got real, uh, real passionate and excited. And you know that's one of the things too is uh, you know Trevor and, and myself, we know too much not to teach. You know, for for me not to work with fighters is is a detriment to, to them and to me and to the sport and, and uh, my system and, and the arts in general. So uh, it just, it's fun, man. It's, it's, it's awesome to live vicariously to the fighters. Yeah, you know, that's that segues to my next question perfectly. You know, I know that you and uh, Trevor have, have a long history together. You guys have always been close. You know, that being said, have you had the opportunity to work with Justin at all before? Uh, no, we trained together when I was still fighting, actually. But as a coach, no, not really. But my doors now, you know, they're open. Not that they were closed ever to, to Gator and the guys before, but it's never really pushed or had them open. It's kind of what I focus on, on the business, settle things down. But now that I got things lined up and figured out running smooth, and, you know, again, opening up the doors to start working with some more fighters. And I guess like a pro, pro team, but not necessarily going to create a team. I don't want to have any walls or barriers. It's going to be open doors for everyone to come train, like, you know, all the people from uh, Trevor's Academy, uh, Genesis, and uh, obviously Elevation, Factory X, the guys in Colorado. And, and throughout the, the nation and the world, you know, have open doors for people to come and, and train as as it's always been. You know, there's never really been, you know, that's just kind of been an unwritten rule in martial arts in general. You have to travel and train and be a ronin. I mean, that's hence the term ronin. It's just a, a lone samurai cruising around, you know, figuring out his stuff. And that has to happen for evolution, for their own growth and growth of the sport in general. So, um, you know, there will be, I guess, an unofficial team under my banner. But it won't be, you know, you have to be on my team and that's it. You know, it's going to be, you know, a revolving door for everyone to come in and get better and learn to grow from one another. Absolutely. Now, I, we'll get right to that after this next question. But just to stay on Justin for a moment here. I mean, Sorry, the, yeah. No, 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 he, he, not a problem. I mean, the sky is the <laughs> limit for this just, kid, right? I mean, how do you think he'll I match up? With... You know what? Yes. Yes, but I'll say this. You can't take that many shots. You know, I think, uh, you know, your, your chin goes. After a while, you know, he can't he get hit. So, you know, I, I get knocked down way easier now. I don't spar anymore, but like, towards the end of my career than I did in the beginning of my career, and that's been true for a lot of the fighters that I've followed in the past. So I wouldn't like to see – I'd like to see Gaethje get some more head motion, not get hit as much. Uh, but he could take the punches, but not to rely on that because towards the end, you know, he's going to start being some heavy punchers, and, and they might it might not go the same way every time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, just not, it's not smart, right? Like, shit. It's not smart. It's good to have that. So you can sit there and wait for a half second and find that timing and that accuracy. And that's one of the things that we developed with our sparring drills in our system. But um, it's still just being alert and aware and not necessarily getting hit. You know, trying to stay out of the way and roll the punches and, and catch them while they're coming through. Uh, but, man, I, I love the kid, and he's, he's got balls of steel and heavy hands and his, his game as they come. Absolutely. And, you know, you touched on that perfectly there. Uh, you know, that kind of brawling style eventually will likely become a detriment, you know, moving forward. But for the time being, great show for the fans and puts on one. For the time being, I'm tuned in. <laughs> right. So 
So get, getting to getting to the reason you, you asked to come on the show tonight, uh, I understand that there's a yes, big announcement. You know, you're looking to to uh, work on the future of the Bang Muay Thai brand. What prompted the decision to to open up your doors to other fighters? Well, before there was the uh, well, I'll just say it's I know too much not to teach, right? And it allows me to grow more as a martial arts instructor and, and a man as a father. And uh, you know, I. I I cross paths with a lot of people and a lot of fighters, and they don't even have the basics down. And I'm like, damn, man, like, you, you haven't been taught this or this, and you show them little tricks and tips, and they're just, like, like mind-blown. I'm like, man, this is basic stuff. So uh, I feel like I need to. I feel, like, obligated, but I love it. It's a passion. Like, that's why I'm on the surface to teach martial arts at all levels because, I, I, man, I, this is what I dedicate my life to, is teaching martial arts, and I can teach you know, very basic, unathletic people to help get in shape and learn how to throw, throw basic punches and have defense and self-defense. And then obviously it's proven I can prove, uh, train ninjas at the very highest level too. So it's the broad spectrum and that's my gift. And it's, uh, you know, I have to do it. You know, again, like Pablo Picasso said, and you got to find your, your, your gift in life and then share it. Like that's the best meaning and purpose of life. Without question. And you're certainly one of the best in the business at, at doing just that. But, you know, just a few months ago, you seemed pretty content with all the athletes you had at the gym, and you really weren't looking to have anyone uh, new join the team. Was there a lot of consideration, you know, going into this when you made this decision to open up the doors? You know, I thought about it, you know, ever since I left Sacramento. You know, like, which direction am I going to go? Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily want to create a pro team and, and you know, have it seem like, uh, like I don't know, I don't want to try to split up the team and cause any drama. Just have a smooth – and there was actually – supposed to have open doors for everyone to come and train regardless but again i didn't really want to create a protein and start creating any walls you know but um again you know it's, it's my passion and i did a lot of, a lot of research i you know i had spoke with uh, mr greg jackson recently also mr bob cook I, I spoke with a lot of top trainers and see how they do things and it's nice to have open doors information with all these people to just again bounce ideas off of and they gave me some excellent pointers on how to do things correctly and I feel I have a really good business model. I obviously have the information to teach the athletes to become better. Um, it's just making sure I'm doing it in the correct way that I can have the doors open for everybody so that it can be there and can be open. And my academy won't close and there won't be any stress on anybody. I can actually, you know, benefit the fires with sponsors because I have a couple people, a couple sponsors that are willing to come on board and sponsor the academy to help make it easier for some of these people to come out and train. And uh, like I've had some investors uh, going on a house for me so I have a place for some of them to stay and you know I, I, again I'm putting a lot of uh, time and effort to make sure that this is a smooth easy transition for people to not transition but a place for them to come and get better you know if you want to get better come on in so you're going to get better no matter what like there's no there's no there's no other way so obviously this is <clears throat> this is about building the brand <clears throat> excuse me you know financially gaining well, for for you and your family but the core of it is helping martial artists become better at their craft, which is what you are most passionate about. Of course, of course, okay. 100%. But that's why I'm here. Now, when you say the doors are open to new athletes, is there anyone specifically that you're interested in working with? You know, if you could make an open invitation to nice. anybody right now on this show, who would it be? Well, it'd be nice to have people come around that uh, are about TJ's weight, so TJ would have more training partners to work with. I think that would obviously be nice, like uh, Juan Archuleta, he's going to be coming out. Um, I've had some people reach out to me before, like Jake Ellenberger as well. So, you know, there's no really 
closed doors on people. I guess it's the few people that aren't going to be allowed to come, you know? I guess people from last season. But uh, uh, no one in particular, uh, but obviously open doors for, you know, pretty much anybody. So give us a breakdown of the coaching staff. I mean, obviously there's yourself. Uh, I believe Matt Brown is coaching now, TJ as well. Uh, give us a breakdown of the coaching staff and who will be available to athletes that decide to walk in those doors. So I'll be the main guy, the main uh, striking coach and overall game planner and such. And then we have excellent jiu-jitsu coach, Coach Sam Poots. He's, he's very detailed knowledgeable for jiu-jitsu. That's practical for MMA, not necessarily sports jiu-jitsu. Uh, but that sucker can roll in sports jiu-jitsu as well. But he's he's better at the MMA aspect. And then uh, we have we have eight solid wrestlers in our math that are always teaching the training and running drills. So we actually have a really good full circle MMA circuit at our academy. And it'll be just for the martial arts, you know, not any strength conditioning. Obviously you will get in better shape doing our drills and training and such, but uh, it'll be straight for the developmental of the martial art aspect. Okay. Now, uh, you know, staying along with this, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, give me a second here. You know, obviously your credentials as a coach, and an athlete world-renowned, you know, coupled that with, you know, being a black belt under Boss Rutman, coaching TJ sure. to a world title. You know, I would say that whoever joins this gym is obviously going to be in great hands. You know, that being said, what's the official mission statement of Bang Muay Thai? To help people better their lives through martial arts. Very simple, short and sweet. I like it. Um, now, sure, sure. W- one thing I noticed, uh, you know, in, in recent months was that You've got guys competing in kickboxing events as well. I mean, is this going to be something that you're looking looking at as well? I mean, not just so much uh, the MMA athletes, but the guys who are strictly in the striking uh, um, striking game as well. Excellent questions. Yes, sir. Kickboxing for you know, kickboxing kind of a broad term, but you can obviously sign up as far as like K1 glory rules or yeah. international rules, Muay Thai rules, modified Muay Thai. But yeah, stand up striking and then obviously mixed martial arts. Those two things would be our our specialties. Those two things. And there's so many things just wrapped up with just boxing right now. You're adding elbows and knees and front kicks and takedowns and the submissions, the transitions and all the wrestling. Uh, it gets crazy. But uh, that's why it takes someone to uh, really dive into those details and map it out for somebody. Yeah, and you know, like you say, uh, or have said many times on the show, it's like playing a video game and uh, obviously something that you're so passionate about, it only lends itself to your ability to coach, game plan, etc., um, so I'm certainly looking forward to any additions that might come to the gym. And obviously this is an open invitation to all those guys. And uh, hopefully uh, in the near future we hear some big names and big announcements in regards to that. But, you know, before before we wrap things up here, I obviously got to ask you a couple things about TJ and, and some big fights coming up. Yes, sir. Um, last time we spoke, TJ was campaigning for the fight with Mighty Mouse. That has all seemed to be shot down by Demetrius at this point. Give us your thoughts on his refusal to fight TJ and what's next for your star pupil now that that fight isn't likely going to happen? So, now that we have five second we're just going to do what we should do always. Focus on ourselves and use this time to, better, to get better and improve. So, you know, just focus on what we can control. And if they, you know, I think as far as the fight with Demetrius, he's being smart because TJ is not an easy fight for him. I feel TJ would have beat Demetrius. And TJ was in route to uh, making weight and uh, it was on track for everything. So it would have been really good for us. Uh, but hopefully um, we're going to get the fight with Cody for the title and um, hopefully this year. So there's no actual date set. We just trained this. We did mitts last night and then we trained this morning as well. And it's just 
same thing, focus on, on what we can control and that's us getting better as martial artists and human beings. Yeah, I know there's no uh, there's no official timetable for that, but has the UFC, you know, offered TJ maybe a target date for this fight with Cody? Has there been any, any developments in his recovery uh, after this back surgery? I'm not sure where at the, what where Cody's at with his recovery. Hopefully, he's not wrestling wrestling half drunk anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure if, that, if I would advise that follow the trainer. But, uh, yeah, you know, again, it goes back to focusing on what we can control, not just getting better as martial artists. So I don't really have an update on what the UFC's potential date is or Cody's recovery. Okay. Well, hopefully that's what you know, gets... What sounds like something like October, November would be nice. Or tomorrow would be nice, right? But, uh, <laughs> you, know, obviously like a, you know, six, six week, eight week training camp is ideal because we always stay in shape and always training anyway. So actually, we don't even need that much time. We could you give us you give us actually tomorrow, but uh, a month would be nice. Uh, six weeks would be six weeks would be better, and then a month is ideal, or two months would be is ideal. So I mean, at this point, that's the only option. Wait around for Cody. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to take any other flights at this point. Yeah, I mean, we already did that, you know, with, uh, with Lineker and Sunchow. Yeah. We should got an immediate rematch, right? We should have lost the title in the first place. Got to meet a rematch. Didn't happen. Two you know, top, top five guys, uh, top five guys, while the champion was fighting uh, people in number eight of eight, uh, eight spot. Very true. Now changing gears here, man. Since I've got you on the line here, you know I've got to ask you about Mayweather McGregor. The World Tour kicked oh, off. Oh man, <laughs> I can't wait for that. McGregor is like a Neo from Matrix. I love that guy. And <laughs> look what he is doing. You cannot be a. You can. How can you not be his fan? Look what he's doing. I know it. Now, I'm 100 supporting him. Uh, sorry, what's your question? Well, the, the World Tour kicked off yesterday. I believe that the second portion of that's probably going on right now as we speak, but made plenty of headlines as expected. Did you get a chance to watch any of that? And, and if so, what was your take on it? I've seen clips online, yeah. And uh, take on it was Connor looked a bit, to be a little bit out of his element, but he's still like, but he did great. I mean, no knocking him. He did, he did amazing. Uh, but you can see that he was, uh, he has, to figure out that aspect a bit more, but I mean he still did amazing. I did, he, he didn't do, he did a good. I shouldn't I shouldn't say anything bad. He he was awesome, and I'm a super fan of of Connor and 100% backing him to beat Mayweather. Yeah. Okay. Now, in your opinion, I mean I know you only saw some clips of this, but who got the best of the trash talk in your opinion, and do you think Connor will be able to get into Floyd's head by the end of this world tour? I think uh, Connor can get into Floyd's head by the end of the tour, and definitely by the fight time. Uh, and who did better on the trash talking? I didn't watch the full thing all the way out, just clips here and there, so I couldn't give an honest assessment as far as who won that. But Floyd looked to be Floyd, and Connor looked to be a little bit off. But yeah. as far as the trash talking game, but he still did amazing. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, definitely a vastly different scenario. I mean, just the guys mm-hmm. talking in the beginning. I mean, everybody was sitting around waiting. Can you just give both of them the microphone and let this thing get going? But. Um, right. You know, we've seen a lot of people posting videos of Floyd and Connor training side by side. Many people have been really harsh in regards to Connor's speed and chances in this fight. I'm wondering, you know, in your professional opinion, is that a fair way to assess this fight going, you know, going into August 26th? Well, if the training footage is, I mean, there's different, there's so many different levels and speeds and powers to train. Though it's not, you know, we don't we don't train full power, full speed all the time. There are different elements, and maybe they work on a technical technical aspect or timing or placement, so who knows what particular subject they were training on when they were, 
when they were being recorded at that moment, too. Um, if they were doing a speed punching contest and Floyd was faster, then I could see that. But um, there's just so many ways to dissect uh, the actual training period. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't, you know, maybe that's just how they train, but you know, with our system, we have everything mapped out as far as speed training, power training, combination training, you know, setup training. So there's just so many different things that you can do. So I'm not quite sure what topic they were doing right then. Yeah, I mean, it was basically, uh, you know, Floyd doing speed bag, speed bag work, stuff like that. Connor hitting a heavy bag. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my opinion, yeah, Felix, speed versus power. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, right. Like it's not not really a fair way to to, to assess, you know each guy's training camp, but nonetheless, regardless of how it all goes down, the spectacle leading up to the fight and uh, the fight itself, I'll be watching. But, I know you'll be watching as well. 100%. But going from, from that, though, I mean, Floyd it will be faster, but Connor hits harder for sure. So those two clin- uh, training clips are, are true, uh, and speed does beat, uh, beat power, but timing beats speed and power, So and, and Connor's got great timing. Without We've question. got great timing for Chapal Pull Cross. And Floyd's going to be very, very well aware of that. You know, he's a, I want to say he's a one-trick pony, but that's his main thing is to pull cross from open stands. But, and, and Floyd's going to be able to see that and read that and feel that energy and be able to move down the way of that. But if he does get clipped, it's not going to be nice for Floyd, that's for sure, because Connor can't crack. Yeah, you know what, man? After talking with you so many times about this, that, that pull cross thing is something that's been drilled into my head. And, you know, that's the one thing I see. The more and more footage I watch of Connor, you're right. He is a master of it. Will it translate mm-hmm. into boxing? We'll have to find out. But uh, yes, sir. listen, Dwayne, you've been more than generous with your time. Always a pleasure to speak with you, man. Um, I guess, you know, before we wrap things up here, in regards to, you know, opening the doors at Bang Muay Thai headquarters, bringing in new athletes, it sounds like, just to recap here, you're working on some sponsorships that would afford these guys and gals uh, a potential place to stay while they're coming out training. And, I mean, is there a limit to the scope of, uh, you know, the worldwide ability here? I mean, are you opening the doors to anybody across the globe at this point? Yeah, across the globe. And we've already had – we always have people book through our academy regardless, like people from Singapore, Thailand, Japan, uh, Holland. We've had a ton of people, Brazil. Like our, we always have people sell through our doors already from all over the globe. So I think it's going to increase and increase more with people that are looking to – compete, I guess. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter what level they step through the door, they're going to be taken care of regardless. Well, we certainly look forward to the growth of the team. And, uh, you know, I mean, I could name a ton of athletes right off the top of my head that I'd love to see you work with. So I hope that this works out and then becomes something really special for the Bang Muay Thai brand. But in conclusion, Dwayne, where can these athletes get in touch with you about joining the gym? And, uh, you know, will you be actively pursuing athletes going forward now? You know, I'm not going to pursue athletes. I mean, if the goal is going to be open. I, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I, I don't ever want to be, you know, mm, I, I guess this would be my attempt. And I, you know, I'll make posts here and there and stuff, but um, I don't want to have any name connotations with me. Like, you know, I don't know what, what like, the, what would it be? Scalping guys? I don't know what you would say. Yeah, but right, the doors right. are open too. You know, I don't know. Like, but, that, but that shouldn't be, you know, a thing. It's always been open, revolving doors regardless. And same thing like with TJ. I'd say, you know, he's went up and trained at TriStar with Faraz, and he works with uh, Jason Puello in, uh, at, at the, the Ruka gym. And, you know, people need to go and train and travel and get better. My house to happen. And, you know, that's the, the point of, the, of this uh, interview is to say that my doors are open for more people, uh, more people in general. All right. But, and, you know, I'm not going to pursue guys, but guys, you know, um, the doors are open. Absolutely. And, I mean, they can, I'm sure they, people know how, know how to find you and, and, uh, you yeah, know. They, I mean, yeah, on social media. 
<coughs> social media is always easy. Uh, uh, email Ludwig Martial Arts at uh, iCloud.com. Very good. So uh, I guess before we wrap things up here, man, any shout-outs you'd like to get in before uh, before we close the show? Spencer Everton, Change My Life, Trevor Whitman, thank you, sir. GLC 2000, on it. And, um, you know, you know uh, Kansas City Regenerative Medicine, those guys gave me some stem cell treatment, and uh, I, feel, I feel good. I feel really good. So, and Jason, thank you, sir. BJPen.com. BJ, BJ, come train. There, yes. BJ, he needs to come train. <laughs> right, I'll have, there. To, I'll, I'll have to hook you guys up BJ for sure. Penn. I've, I've talked with him before, too, about coming out and training, and uh, uh, it just hasn't happened yet, but that's BJ Penn. There we go. Coming out, buddy. Please. All right. You got it, my man. Thank you, as always, for the time. Pleasure, as always, my friend, and we certainly look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too, bud. All right. We'll see. All right, Penn Nation, the always entertaining, the always informative, Dwayne Bang Ludwig. We got to keep things rolling, though, because we're really crunched on time now. So we're going to jump right into it. Rich Ace Franklin, great interview, great conversation. I know you guys will enjoy it. BJPenn.com radio. All right, Penn Nation, we are now joined by former UFC middleweight champion, vice president of 1FC, the biggest promotion in Asia without question. Of course, I'm talking about Rich Ace Franklin. Rich, what's going on, man? Hey, man, how's it going? I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I just got back to uh, Asia from a stint in the states, so I'm uh, flip flopped right now, and uh, my time clock is completely off. <laughs> well, again, man, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, how is life for one of MMA's greatest? It's, it's going great, man. You know, I'll tell you, I'm, uh, God's blessed me with a, a good career uh, post fight. And uh, working for one championship where, where this organization is, is growing day by day. And this is a huge market over here in, in Asia. And exciting. it's exciting to be part of this uh, outside of the cage because I was part of this entire process uh, inside the cage as an athlete. So uh, just, just helping an organization grow. It's, life is good, man. I'm blessed. Yeah, you know, that's something I wanted to touch on eventually here. Um, you know, what being a, an elite athlete brings to the table as far as working on the other side of the curtain, if you will. But before we get into that, man... You currently reside full-time in Singapore? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, well, I, I spend a, the bulk of my time here. I've, I've been working for one for the last several years. Yeah. And uh, last year, I did I did 10 trips back and forth over the Pacific. And for me, from Cincinnati, that's 30 hours door-to-door Ooh. travel time. And so this year, they, they talked to me about moving down here. So, yeah, I spend the bulk of my time here uh, for now. And So, yeah, I mean, I have a place down for all intents and purposes, I'm, I'm living on this side of the world for the time being. So tell us about the decision to relocate. I mean, obviously that, that travel time is, is, is awful to deal with, but is this uh, like an entire life move over here type of thing? Like did, oh, did you take your family with no. you as well, or is this just a temporary uh, living situation for when you're working? No, yeah, this is, this is just uh, this is temporary for now. This, the organization has gone through, uh, through some tremendous uh, – pieces of growth over the last uh, year or two and we've, we've just hit a lot of markers things with you i mean you can you can see the results and in, in like social media views and impressions and things like that and it's just it's growing tremendously and so we're at a point right now where uh capturing the market kind of takes full focus and uh and so the organization wanted me down here and you know that's part of what i bring to the table is just the history that i have in mma um you know being, being around big shows and, and understanding the sport and whatnot so it's a it's a big plus for me 
Now, when we had Victor on the show a few weeks back, maybe a couple months back, uh, of course he spoke very highly of the role you play with 1FC. Uh, what's it been like for you working with the promotion, you know, on that side of combat sports in regards to, um, you know, as we talked about before, what you bring to the table specifically that a lot of other guys might not in your position as VP? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's unique what, what, what I bring to the table for the company because, if, I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't give you a, a clear, concise job description because, you know, on, on Friday night, like on, on, on the event night, they'll use me for commentating a little bit. And so I work with the production team and, and do some other production pieces with them as well. And then my, my main focus is that I'm, I'm building out our merchandise department right now. And, oh, wow. uh, and, and so that's, that's what my main focus is. But, you know, I help out with like our, our I help out with Matt Hume with our athlete competition team, uh, the, you know, our servicing of the athletes and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes we'll do like talent scouting or, or, you know, fighter development programs, whatever. And so I'm just kind of like, I, I, my, my main, my main role in the company is the merchandise, but I just bounce, bounce around a bit used where I can lend some, some expertise or experience. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Matt Hume there. I know he's another pivotal part of this uh, this organization. Uh, you have a history with him. Who got who the job? Uh, I would, uh, well, Matt was here first, so I would say that he, he got me the job. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, Matt, Matt, helped, Matt helped build this organization from day one. Uh, but he and I, actually, how this happened is we traveled down to Singapore and taught a, a seminar, actually taught a seminar some years back at Evolve. And just met some of the uh, some of the higher ups at uh, at one championship, and introductions were made and stuff like that. So uh, it came back full circle that when I was when I was retiring from, from fighting, and not taking fights anymore, that uh, I was offered a, a position. Matt had already been at the, at the company at that point in time, and so I'm sure I made a good first impression. But I'm sure that he uh, he put a good word in for me as well. Yeah. Now we talked about this a little bit, obviously being a fighter yourself, working in this organization, it, it kind of draws comparisons to uh, Ray Seffo. Uh, I'm wondering, as far as relations with the fighters go, on your end, I'd imagine they've got to be a lot more understanding and uh, open open to, you know, speak with you about concerns or whatever, you know, considering that you've been in their shoes before. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. I mean, we, there are times where we have, uh, like, we'll have a rules briefing before an event or something like that, and initially when I was with the company, I would always attend the rules briefings. Now that's, this is technically Matt's department, uh, but I'll help out when needed. And Matt's got some good people underneath him that are more than capable of taking care of things. But there's just a, a bit of a difference when I step into the room because I've been there and, and the guys that are, that are you know, competing for us understand that. And so whether it be an issue that they have or something that they may need to confide in or something like that, I would imagine that, that my experience in the sport helps, helps lend itself to, uh, their their comfort in that situation. Now let's talk about the upcoming event, Conquest of Kings. Um, what fight are you most excited for? And give us your thoughts on the main event between Akhmedov and Moraes. Uh, well, that's probably the the fight I'm, I'm really most excited for because it's just a long overdue rematch. And I actually, when those two fought the the first time, I I had Moraes ahead on my scorecards. I, I thought that he had, he had won the fight. So um, it'll be interesting. You know, Akhmedov has now had a long layoff. That's the last time that he actually competed. And Morias has uh, gotten himself back on a winning track with two victories. So this, this fight, it'll be interesting to see, to see what happens. And, I mean, these guys, they pushed the pace from start to finish in, in, the, uh, in the first competition with each other. It was 25 minutes of just nonstop action. 
and I would expect nothing less in this fight. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what uh, what what they do as far as figuring each other out and game plans and looking at old tape and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it, you know, interesting on that. I think the the other the uh, other bout I'm interested in on the card is the uh, the Gilbert Galvao and uh, Marcin Pracnio fight because uh, Marcin was set to uh, compete for the the title at one point and then um, ended up having to pull out at last minute and was replaced uh, with uh, Alon Thought, who just ended up defeating Vitaly Big Dash in Myanmar for, for the uh, middleweight title. And so I'm interested to see him get back into the cage because it'll be, it'll be interesting to see him put himself back into that contender position if, uh, if, you know, if, he, if he's capable of pulling off the victory here. Now, you mentioned the decision earlier from the main event rematch here, uh, you know, how you felt that went. Do you have an official prediction for the main event? I don't know. It's, it's so tough, man. I mean, Akhmedov is, is he's undefeated, and um, and you know, guys like that, you don't get to what is his record now? Twelve and zero, I think, off the top of my head. And you just you don't you don't get there, especially fighting tough guys like Marias, with uh, without being very intelligent about what you do. So I would imagine that even though he's had a layoff, he's going to come in and make some adjustments and do what he needs to do. Now, on the flip side of that that argument, you have the fact that he's been off for two years, and and Marias now has is, is got some confidence and, and a little bit of momentum moving and stuff like that, and that's a big a big advantage for an athlete. So, it's, I mean, it's seeing how razor thin that, that that decision was the first time, I, I have a feeling it's just going to kind of be exactly the same. It's going to be a really, really close match. Okay. Now, one thing that um, I've been really impressed with, among many things in regards to the, the promotion of one, obviously – Building in the Asian markets, which which uh, we'll get to in a moment, something nobody's been able to really do in this uh, realm of mixed martial arts. But it's building local talent that I've been really impressed with. Tell us about your ideal ideal process for building local talent. You know, like I said, it's always been something that you guys have been very good at. But what do you think other promotions don't understand when it comes to, you know, building up a superstar from each region that you're popular in? Yeah, I think um, I, it's, it, a case, our best case in point would be Edward Falayan. Our, our lightweight champ, who's from uh, the Philippines. I mean, he's, he's a homegrown, born and raised, you know, Filipino. And let me tell you, I mean, when that guy won the title, they they actually uh, not this was nothing that we did like for a press thing, but his home city, Baguio City, actually, when he came back, they paraded him around the city on in this truck with a big like uh, paper mache championship belt on the front of it that was the size of a man. Oh, and, wow. and and just drove him around the city, and I saw pictures of this. I'm like, wow, like it's it was not like some sort of stunt that we did. It was just the people of the city were so proud of him. And when when you when you meet a guy like uh, Edward, he's you know he's he's, he's got such a gentle soul. He's um, you know just such a uh, this sounds kind of funny to say, but he's, he's a sweet guy. And on yeah. top of it, you know he's talented in the cage. And so you know you you have to have people that that like that that can connect with the public on more than just their, 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 um, their local city. But, you know, you see what a, what a person says in, in their, in their uh, post-fight event or their, their post-fight interview. And, and you really start to connect with that person. Like, man, I really, you know, he's, he's, so, he's a good guy or whatever. And, uh, and, and you start rooting for them. And that's how we, we build these stories around. It's not, I, I hate to even use the word stories because it's like the things that we build around our, our local heroes are true. A, a guy like Edward, for example, he came from a, a, such a poor family that when, when he was a young kid, there were nine siblings total, and five of those siblings died from common illness because his, his uh, family was too poor to just be able to afford uh, 
simple medications and stuff like that to avoid just common sicknesses. His parents are literate, and, and so it's just this kind of background. And to see that guy rise up and, and, uh, and you know, experience some success is kind of, he becomes a beacon of light for every young kid that sees him and says, man, I want to grow up and, and be like him. Like, if he can do this, coming from those insurmountable odds, so can I. And it's stories like that that transcend beyond borders. And that's one thing that, that one does very, very well over here on this on this side of the world. Yeah, and that's one of the things I talked with um, with Victor about was that these these regions don't necessarily have really big time sports with with you know world renowned heroes in their own backyards. And the opportunity of mixed martial arts, you t- everybody talks about it. Fighting transcends all cultures. So exactly, you know, it only makes sense that. Uh, building up heroes in these promotions. I mean, these guys are going to become bigger heroes than potentially soccer stars or whatever the big sport is in each respective country. Um, but that being said, one of the biggest talents that you guys have, without question, has got to be Angela Lee. Incredi- incredible superstar potential there. Give us your thoughts on her star power, and uh, when will we potentially see her back in action? Angela is a perfect example of somebody that would will definitely transcend beyond borders. If you, if you know anything about her her personal life, obviously she's talented in the cage. Uh, look, that's that's key number one factor. If you want to build a star, they have to have talent. Um, and then number two is that they they, they they need to be magnetic, like truly magnetic. People want to gravitate towards them or be around them. And Angela has that ability. She's always got a smile on her face. Uh, and, and her family, you know, you, if you ever if you ever watch her compete. Her father and her brother are in her corner every time, and it's just a very, very tight knit family. And you see people like that, and it's the kind of family where you're like, man, if, you know, I w- if I had kids and a family, like I would want my family unit to operate like their family unit. They're nice and tight. Um, and so the the people here on on this side of the globe have really, really taken to her. And uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 she's an attractive girl, and that that obviously helps as well. And so. Yeah. She just got all these key elements of talent, looks, magnet, magnetism, or whatever. You know, people want to be around her, and uh, so yeah, Angela is definitely the kind of person that, that, that transcends beyond borders because of it. And uh, and honestly, I think with somebody like her, we've just hit the tip of the iceberg of what she's capable of uh, blossoming into. Without question, and I'm sorry if you mentioned it there in regards to her getting back into action. I mean, do you have a timetable for oh. that? No, I, I, I don't know. That actually would be a better question for Matt Hume because he, he's the one that does the matchmaking. And so um, I typically find out when the uh, when the matches are uh, as they're released to, to the public. I mean, I'm in the office and, and I'm you know doing my own things all the time, but I'm so focused on what I'm doing that uh, oftentimes I, I won't even – because, I mean, you think about it. Like, you start asking about this card. I mean, we have a card in Surabaya on the 29th. We have a card in Macau on the 5th, and then we have a card in uh, Kuala Lumpur, KL, Malaysia, on the 13th. And so I have, like, I have three three cards here. And so all these cards are released back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So right now, if you ask me, like, well, who's the main event on the <laughs> KL card? Like, I think it's I think it's Mark Gafarov and Martin Newing, maybe. But, I mean, these things are just back-to-back, back and you, this company, we're running this pace, and we're working on things it's so just quickly and firing off that it's, it's really difficult to keep track of things. So that's a really, really long version of me saying I don't know when she's going to question. <laughs> no problem. You know, it only makes sense. Uh, the demand for this stuff in, in every market that you guys are in, uh, you continue to dominate it. So I can only imagine it gets very hectic uh, behind the scenes there. Um, but just to stay along, along with talent here, 
Ben Askren, Brandon Vera, those are obviously the two biggest names in the West that you guys have. What can yeah. you tell me about those guys? I mean, obviously uh, it would be better to ask Matt when they're fighting next, but I guess just give us your overall thoughts on each of them as a talent and what they mean to the promotion. Yeah, I can say this about about um, about Brandon. I I would imagine he'll fight, uh, you know, he'll compete again before the end of the year. Uh, and it, more than likely, you know, he's, he's Filipino. It wouldn't surprise me if he was on one of the cards in, in the Philippines. Yeah. Uh, now that that's that's not a guaranteed statement, so you know, don't headline um, Rich Franklin, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. you know, whatever. No but um, and Ben, I, I don't know when when Ben will be competing again because he just competed for us, so I don't know where they're where they're at in that process. But yeah, in the, in the West, those are the two the two biggest names that we have over there, and. It's, it's interesting because when I when I come when I come back to the states and I talk to you know maybe my some of my friends that aren't real real familiar with one championship like they'll they'll know these two guys and they'll assume that that's all the star power that we have and I'm like you got to realize we have an, an entire roster of athletes who connect with this entire population over here and you know I was talking about uh, Edward Falion um, just now I mean that that guy is, is is becoming a megastar on this side of the globe and uh, you look at like uh, on thought, he just just uh, beat Vitaly Big Dash for uh, the middleweight title, and that that event was in Yangon a uh, week, two weeks, week or two weeks ago. And let me tell you, I mean, in a country like that, like Ang La, he he is like when you see him, and it's it's kind of like the uh, like like when you see photos of the Beatles arriving in, in the U.S. back in the back in the '60s, like. That's what it's like when Ong Law is in that country. Wow. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he, he's the kind of guy that would have the ability to transcend borders as well if he puts a, puts a couple wins together with, with his belt. And, and I'll tell you, in defeating a guy like uh, Vitaly is, uh, is no small task. It's, it's, I, was, I was impressed to see the way that he had handled that match. Well, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the roster, uh, countries of origin alone i mean it should be within no time that you guys become reputable in the west not to say that you aren't now you know for the hardcore fans but uh more well recognized i mean like i said you've got champions from the west champions from asia champions from brazil i mean it doesn't get much better than what you guys have going forward now but uh speaking of talent acquisition i wanted to get your take on some recent big news ufc failing to re-sign a huge name like gegard musasi uh what's your take on that and did you guys make an offer to gegard uh, I don't know if we made an offer to him. And, ju- and just to take a step back, you know, real quick, you said something about the, the talent that we have, like from the West, like in the states and Brazil and all that. You know, we actually we actually have broadcast deals in many of the countries that are in the West. Like uh, like we have a broadcast deal with I think the Fight Network in Canada. Okay. Um, so we broadcast there, but we don't broadcast in the states, and that's why it's the the you know it's quite unfamiliar to a lot of people in in the uh, in the states, unless you're that hardcore fan who's online searching MMA and all that kind of stuff. But just to the casual fan, um, they wouldn't, uh, they may not be aware because the broadcast isn't there. And that's how that's, I mean, that's your main source of exposure. And, and you know, as, as far as Musashi goes, I, I, I don't know, uh, if we've actually put an offer out to him, um, that would definitely be a Matt Hume question. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, um, that there's just been a lot of talent, uh, recently with, with the, uh, with the UFC that has either, you know, been unhappy and decided to, to leave or not resign or not resign contracts or whatever. So it's just interesting to see some of the, the decisions that the organization is making with some of their athletes. Yeah, and, well, being a guy <clears throat> that worked for the promotion for so long, 
you know, why do you think so many fighters are opting to leave? I mean, is it the Reebok deal, the direction the company is going under new ownership? Uh, looking outside in, from your perspective, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it's it's, it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you can you can put it on just on one factor. I mean, plus there are other people now. There are other there are other players on the block that have the ability to offer um, contracts that are well enough paying. I mean, think about it. When I was competing back in I don't know, my first fight was '03 in in the uh, UFC. When I was competing during those years, '03 to 2012, almost 10 years. Um, there, you didn't have options. Like if you, if pretty much like that was your payday. And if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to compete for that organization, then there was no other organization for you to really compete with. But now there, there are, there are other people that, that have the ability to, to pay, to fulfill these kind of contracts. And so when you look at things, for example, like we take the Reebok deal. Yeah. The, I mean, the Reebok deal, it's, it's a, it's technically a revenue share for the athletes, but um, realistically, like I know what, what my endorsement packages were worth to get like spots on my shorts or my banner outside that, that we would hang inside the cage and stuff like that. And looking at the at the percentage breakdowns of where you may be in the organization, it wouldn't be able to annually match what I could make with my own private sponsors yeah. uh, for for each event. And so you're you know on top of uh, on, on top of that, you can go to another organization, be able to pull off sponsors, and it's just it's it just helps. I mean, it's Look at the at the end of the day, I, I never like I never one time complained about my pay uh, with with when I was competing as an athlete. But your your earning window is short, so you really gotta you really gotta get what you can while you can, and just be smart with your money and and, and, and set yourself up. And if you don't do that, then uh, then you have problems. And so missing out on on big endorsement packages, especially if you're fighting three, maybe sometimes four times a year, that's that's a big swing in income for for uh, for an athlete. Now, staying along with that, I mean, what do you think the answer is for guys? Is it collective bargaining? I mean, do we need to see a fighters association really become prominent? Um, obviously, this probably isn't too big of a deal over for you guys in, in Asia, but uh, looking back in the States here, what's your opinion? I mean, do they need to collectively bargain to, to really get these issues figured out? Um, I I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I used to teach high school and, and – uh, and you know, as, as educators, we were all part of a union. I'm, I've never been, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge, huge union guy. I'm not an anti-union guy. I mean, the moment I make a statement like this, suddenly I've, I've like politically irritated some people. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just know that like, I, I, look, I'm, I, when it comes to this kind of stuff, I, anytime you set up an organization that has to run something, there are administrative costs to that organization. And so that money has to come from somewhere. And whether whether it's coming from the organizations or the athletes or whatever, when I was teaching, I had to pay my union dues. Now, me personally, I never had to use my union one time. So for so many years, I paid into this union that I didn't use. And I'm just a kind of person who believes that if there's enough competition on the market, then that competition is it forces organizations to offer fair wage or whatever, yeah. because especially especially for your your your, your quality athletes. Now these these guys that are at the at the the bottom um, that are just getting started, yeah, I mean then that makes that makes life life a bit more difficult for them. But once you've actually established yourself and you have negotiating power, then it becomes quite different. So you know I'm I'm looking at this from an experienced veteran's point of view. Maybe if I was the new guy on the block, then I would be thinking, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, fighters association might be exactly what you need because it would be nice. It, you know, when I at, at this point in my my career now as an athlete. 
you think about it, I've, I, I competed for one organization for almost 10 years. I don't like, I don't have any kind of, uh, medical policy, you know, no, no health insurance policy, no retirement pension, none of that kind of stuff. But if you look at any other organization, any other sporting organization in the world, take it the, the NFL or the NBA or whatever, when these guys put that kind of time into the league, they have those things. They have health insurance policies and they have pension plans and, and all that kind of stuff. So, and that stuff is set up because of the, uh, because of the players' unions and whatnot, they ensure they ensure that stuff. So, I mean, if the sport wanted to go that route, uh, then yeah, perhaps something like a fighters' association might be exactly what you need. Well, it's interesting to hear that kind of perspective because <clears throat> talked about it quite a bit on the show. Randy Couture, guys like that, obviously they're in favor. Uh, some other guys you hear, you know, not in favor. Sounds like you have a much more free market approach to this. If there's good competition, wages will be competitive everyone will be happy and rise up together kind of thing. Um, but m- m- moving on from there, UFC trying to break into Asia. What did you think of their event and uh, the event in Singapore? I mean, did you get a chance to watch it? Um, what do you think of them, you know, trying to really make moves into Asia right now, given that you guys have that market on lock? Uh, uh, this is a natural extension for them. When you look at the organization uh, selling for the amount of money that it's sold, you're going to have to make that thing grow. And the only way to, you've, you've saturated the Western market. So the only way to make it grow is by heading, heading to Asia truly. And so it's no surprise. I'm, yeah, I, and I'm not like, Oh, I can't believe they're coming over here. It's it's smart business for them. Uh, I, I, I just, I think on this side of the planet, they, I mean, look, they're an amazing organization. They have great athletes. You know, I can't, I can't sit here and say anything negative about them. I competed for them for 10 years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, so, um, but it's just that on on this side of the globe, like I, I, we, our organization understands how to run business better here. We're, we're located here, and um, you know this is a, this is an Asian-owned company. We build local heroes and all that kind of stuff. And so we're not just an organization that's located in, for example, Las Vegas and taking a show and bringing a show here and then leaving again. And and that's not what we're doing. So we've built the roots, the foundation of of this sport over here. In, uh, in the various the various countries, and I think that that's that's what's going to pay dividends for us. Now, we've talked about several components here to this, but you know, overall being um, athletes, promotions working together, fair wages, etc. That being said, all these guys that are exiting the UFC, the mass exodus, if you will, we see more and more. Um, for you guys, One FC, as far as talent acquisition goes. You know, what do you think sets you guys apart from other promotions when it comes to product value for not only consumers but contract value for athletes? And what would you say to fighters entering free agency that might be considering uh, one for a new home? Uh, well, I mean, you, since we were talking about the Reebok deal, for example, um, look, just from an aesthetic point of view, I, when you look at the, the, the Reebok deal there, I understand why. They, like why you're going to do the Reebok. It's, it's smart for business from an organizational standpoint, but it really takes the individuality out of the uh, out of the sport for the for the athletes. And you know, I like seeing these guys with their banners and their shorts and different yeah. colors. I mean, I, I, I wore brown and pink, and and that was you know unique uh, to its day. Like I was the only person that, that wore something like that at the time, and it really set me apart. 
And so whether or not I, – I don't know if I would be able to wear brown and pink with the new uniform rules or whatever. I'm sure something could be worked out. But either way, I mean, you come in, and it's, it's cool to see, like, what kind of sponsors somebody has on their on the pant leg of their shorts or whatever. Like, I pay attention to that stuff because I'm always curious. Yeah. That's just me as an athlete. And, and, and every athlete was unique to, to themselves. Now, when, when you watch a sport like that, like, it's just vanilla. Everybody looks the same. Um, and, and the concept is kind of similar to if you take any other sport, like the NFL, for example. Everybody on a certain team comes out with the same kind of a uniform on. And so, so, so I get it, but it's, uh, that's one thing that just, for example, one thing is like in our organization, you can still, you can still bring your sponsors to the table and, and stuff like that and have that, that individuality. So that's just, just, just one example of, of what's different between us and other organizations. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, like, uh, immediately comes to mind, Shogun, the bad boy eyes, you know, I mean, like you yeah. said, individuality, your shorts as well, uh, Chuck Liddell with the with the ice on there. Um, exactly. <clears throat> but to change Keto with his flames. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, and, and no, I, I mean, there's certain, there certain athletes that when you, the moment, like, the, certain athletes, like, you can think of other athletes, and, and other well-known athletes. And you may not, be able, if, I, if I named a well-known, like an athlete who made a mark in the sport, you may not be able to think like, okay, what did his shorts look like? But, uh, but with certain athletes, you can. And so it does create that individuality. Without question. And like you said, just one component to many is, you know, a reason for free agents to, to seek you guys out for a potential offer as well. But I wanted to change gears here for a moment. News came out recently, I believe last week, something along the lines that you said you would potentially come back to competition for the right fight. I'm wondering, can you yeah. elaborate on that? Is there any matchup in particular that that would make you jump at the opportunity? No, I, I don't. I, I don't really. I, I'm not giving that any kind of thought. I was asked. I was asked in an interview if uh, if you know if the door was 100% shut. And I, I th- this is a self-defeating statement, but I try to be <laughs> a never say never kind of guy. Yeah. And so the the exact statement I made was a return is not not probable, but it is possible. And I could be enticed uh, with with the right opponent. I don't know who that would be. I, w- I would have to like, you know, sit down and think about who is active and who would make sense and all that kind of stuff. But you know, on, on the other side of that discussion, I'm just I'm not really a big fan of. There's been, for example, talk of a legends league and stuff like that. And I always tell people that you know, once you climb Mount Everest, you, you would never return and be like, well, I'm just going to hike up to base camp one time. Like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Like once you've been to the peak of the mountain, you just don't stop midway up and turn around. And that's to me how the, the Legends League would would feel. So I would never be interested in something like that. But you know, for, with if I, if I was enticed properly with the, with the right matchup, then I I could see me being talked out of uh, you know out of retirement for for a match or something like that. So all hypothetical hasn't actually been discussed. Not something that not you're you know pursuing actively. Um, but I'm no, wondering. No, but if you follow me, if you follow me on social media, I'm just, well, I was just I always say that. train. You know, yeah, constantly. That's, that's, you're, looks like but you're you know, always in good shape. All the old habits die hard, man. I can't, I can't help it. This has been my life for the last, you know, for the last uh, 20 years that I've been training and, and competing, even before I competed in the UFC. And so, just just because you just because you uh, you retire from a sport doesn't mean that you don't still love and, and you know have a passion for things like martial arts. So that's what I'm doing in the now, gym on a daily basis. If the hypothetical right fight did come along with come along for you, regardless of who it may be, would that be a one FC fight, or would you look to to come back to the UFC? Oh, I I haven't wouldn't even get get that far in uh, in in my thought process. I haven't gotten that far <laughs> in my thought process. I mean, 
you know, I, I, I technically retired from, uh, from active competition with one bout left on my contract. Uh, so I don't know what kind of, I, I, I don't know legally like what kind of ramifications there would be there. I would imagine with all the free agency that's going on and people kind of scooting around from one place to the next that it, sh- it shouldn't be a problem, especially with me having been retired for the last couple years anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's like, uh, I'm, I don't know. I went blank, but you know when you when like you, your ability to find other work in a job market. I can't remember what the what the law is called on top of my head, but yeah, I, I would have the ability to do that. So I, you know, I don't I don't know. Okay, fair enough. We'll move on from that. You know, but staying along with it, we've seen a lot of comebacks in recent years, some impressive, and some more resembling a freak show. I'm wondering, you know, what's your take? As you said, you're not a big fan of the Legends League, but what's your take on Legends like Fedor, Ken Shamrock still taking fights, or even BJ Penn for that matter? You know, I've always been maintaining on the show that as a media guy, I have no room to say whether or not a guy should hang them up. But as a legend yourself and a guy that's been there, what's your take on guys continuing to compete? When should they hang it up? And, I mean, is it good for the sport? I, I think, look, I think you should hang it up when, uh, when, when it gets to a point where it's detrimental to your well-being. Um, and uh, you know, I used to I used to speak to my coaches about that. Uh, my boxing coach Rob, I used to always tell him like, "Hey, look, man, you know, you're the most in tune with with my speed and my reflexes and stuff like that. Um, so let me know, like, just be be straight with me. If ever comes a day where you're like, look, bro, you've lost a step and it's time to step down, tell me. And we we never we never had that conversation. And so since I never had that conversation with a with a coach, I in my mind I'm like, well, psh, yeah, I still I, I still have what it, what it takes to uh, to compete and do what I need to do, uh, and, and so, but every every athlete is different. I mean, some athletes their their body is more beat up, they're a bit run down, they lose a step, their reflexes aren't there, whatever it may be, they've lost their chin. It, it, you know, it, the list goes on and on. And I think that each of those athletes need to have somebody that's in their inner circle that can that can just give a subjective point of view and be like, look, man, it's it's time, and they they need to be able to listen to that person. Uh, and so that's, that's on an athlete for athlete basis. And I remember that after, you know, after I lost my title, I had a very successful career for the next, uh, six, six plus years in the, in, in, in the organization where I was, I was still main eventing cards the whole time. I main eventing cards all the way throughout my career, yeah. but I would get asked questions in interviews like, well, you know, Rich, you, you lost to Anderson a second time and, and you, you didn't get your your belt back so now when when is it time to hang up the gloves and it's like you know just because I, i'm not a champion doesn't mean i can't continue doing what i what i'm passionate about doing yeah. you know i'm still an effective athlete and so uh and and i can you know i can produce wins and exciting fights and stuff like that so you know you just you have to assess that and, and uh and if, I mean, if you're that person who truly has i mean you, i've seen guys that, that come out of uh that come that come out of quote-unquote retirement and take on take another competition they look and they look great. You know, they're still they're still out out there throwing down and able to keep up and all that kind of stuff. And other guys who who are not. And uh, and and those are the, the the people when you watch the fight, you're like, man, it's just you should. It's time for you to ride off and 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 just kind of sit back and appreciate what you've been able to accomplish and, and don't try to uh, hang on to the glory of your career. But um, you know, the only person that can do that is somebody who's truly in the inner circle of an athlete themselves. Now, you see time and time again, maybe they're not surrounded by the right people, you know, talking about this inner circle. <clears throat> that being said, I mean, at the end of the day, is the final straw, should it be the promotion to say whether or not, you know, we don't think that you're healthy or 
Uh, this would be detrimental to your health, as you had mentioned there, all the things we learned about CTE in recent years. Um, do you think the be-all, end-all should be the promotion to say whether or not a guy should be allowed to compete any longer? Yeah, it's, I, I, ultimately, I would probably say yes to this this question. Uh, I, I hate to put that kind of power in somebody else's hands. Yeah, like I'm just, you know, I'm all about. Look, I, the reason the reason why I answer questions the way that I do is because for me personally, I know how things work. I think things through very thoroughly, and I'm one of those people who I have safeguards. Like I told my coaches, I'm like, look, if you guys. If you guys ever think that I've lost a step, let me know because I'm very proactive in my thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Not not every athlete is that way. Uh, I just I just watched the movie Bleed for this the other day and uh, the Vinny Pazienza story. And I'm in one from of the Rhode Island, Vinny Pazienza, yeah, yeah, he's a local yeah. hero. <laughs> and in one of in one of his interviews or one of the pre one of the uh, pre fight press conferences, he said he made a comment at least in in the script. He's like, yeah, he's like, I'm willing to die in that ring tomorrow. You know, is he talking about Roger Mayweather? Yeah. And that's the mentality of, of a young athlete. And so the, 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 the rules, the safety guidelines, all that kind of stuff are set in place really to protect the athletes from themselves. I, I mean, I know me, like, for example, when I, would, when I used to cut weight for a fight, I was sitting. I mean, I would, I would be willing to sit in the sauna until it killed me because not making weight was, it was not an option for me. And so, and like, for our organization, one, for example, we now have our weigh-in hydration test. And those, those rules and procedures are now set in place really to protect our athletes from a mentality like that. And that's a mentality that, that I had as an athlete, and I consider myself a very educated and smart person, like the kind of person that, that makes intelligent decisions. But still, you, you, at times, you need protection from yourself. So, when yeah, when it gets that bad, I think, you know, if, if the coaches aren't there or the, the, the manager, then ultimately the promotion's got to step back and say, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's time, man. I mean, you're just you're not performing at the level that you were. Now, staying along with uh, rules and regulations, you know, um, one of the things that you just mentioned there, the weight-cutting procedures, California has just adopted something similar. Um, but in regards to rehydration, you know, we're talking about brain damage here, all these things. Uh, I'm wondering, what are the intricacies of the judging, the scoring, and, and so forth in Asia? I mean, the commissions are obviously different. How does that work uh, in regards to you know, scoring criteria and, uh, you know, referee stoppages, things like that. Is there a lot of difference or has it kind of adopted the Western model over there? No. Uh, well, our model is, is different. We, we use a global MMA rule set, which is uh, the main difference. The main difference between our organization and other organizations is the way that we judge fights. Now, the, all these, our judging systems were all set up by Matt uh, initially. And Matt obviously has a background in working with Pride and, and a lot of organizations on this side of the, the globe, and he has he has a long history of of, um, of you know his uh, experience in MMA, and so with with that like the the, the main difference is that w- when we judge our fight, we have a certain set of judging criteria, and I could get into all that, and I could spend the next half hour explaining how we judge fights. But the biggest differentiating factor is that we judge a fight on its entirety rather than on a round by round basis. So you can think of if you very have a similar to the Japanese rules, right? Yeah, yeah, in a sense. You think of like uh, you think of like um, uh, you have a championship bout. It's five five minute rounds, and that twenty five minute time period is judged all as one big thing. So you 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 should you would never hear coming from our like our commentators saying like, oh well, you know what? I think uh, I think he just sold around with that takedown because you yeah. can't steal around, and and you see it time and time again. Like this is the ten point must system is it's a, you know it's, it's 
not a bad system for boxing when you have 12, 13, 14 rounds, whatever. But when you have a, a non-championship belt with only three rounds or even championship belts with five rounds, you know, if, if you have a, a round that's fairly inactive and then one, one athlete takes another athlete down with 20 seconds left in, in the round and does really nothing with it, they stole an entire five minutes of time. Like, yeah. they now command a score on that entire five minutes, where for us, it's like, okay, well, he got a takedown, so there's a tick mark in the takedown, and that was towards the end of the second round, but it's still, in the in the scope of this entire 10 minutes, that was only you know, 15 seconds of, of, yeah. of the entire 10 minutes, and so it gets scored accordingly, and and we have criteria set up in, in, uh, in, a, in an order of importance, so to speak, and, and, uh, and yeah, so it, it makes, um, it, I think it makes a huge difference in the way that we judge fights. Well, and I think I, I, a lot of fans, and especially hardcore fans, people in media, I think we would all pretty much agree that uh, 10-point must system is very flawed, and the Japanese system was much better, and it sounds like 1FC probably has the best model going right now. Hopefully uh, more areas adopt that. Um, but speaking of boxing, 10-point must, just a couple more questions here. I know you've been more than generous with your time. But speaking oh, no of worries. boxing... Arguably the biggest fight in combat sports history has finally kicked off, officially kicked off the press tour. Mayweather-McGregor. What's your take on this fight? Does Conor have a legitimate chance? Is it bad for business for boxing or MMA, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, I don't I don't think it's... If, I, well, let me tell you. If Conor ends up beating Floyd, it's going to be real bad for boxing. Uh, but um, I, I, here's some initial thoughts. I don't know. I really don't know how... my. I don't know how Connor would be able to beat Floyd. I've worked with top ten level boxers before, and this is why I tell people: you know, when, when I'm training, I go into the I go into the gym and I spend two days on my ground game. I spend two days on my wrestling game. I spend two days a week on my uh, stand up game. When a boxer goes into the gym, they spend two day, two days on their stand up game, two more days on their stand up game, and two more <laughs> days on their stand up game because that's what they do. That's all they have to do. And so it's like I've worked with top 10 level guys. And as far as just boxing goes, I would have really no business trying to compete in boxing with top 10 level guys consistently. Give me one pull. Allow me to clinch. Allow me to throw knees. Allow me to throw leg kicks. Just one. Just one tool is all I would need. And it would, it would definitely level the playing field. So I say this because Floyd is arguably one of the best boxers to ever have stepped in, in the boxing ring before. And, you know, now Connor has, this fight has come about, he's basically challenged him to a boxing match. And, and, and so in my, in my mind's eye, as I, as I just gave that example, I think like, well, how is he, how is he ever going to pull this off? Then I look back and I think about Connor, like, for example, his two matches with Nate Diaz, even in the second match, particularly towards the end of, I think it was towards the end of the second round where, where Nate started to kind of it looked like he was going to run away with that fight uh, towards the end of the second, beginning of the third round. And then it's like, as if Connor like dug down in the gas tank and found something uh, and, and just went on for the victory. And that like, I'll just say that in that particular match, Connor earned a lot of respect from me. And so when I think about something like that and I think about his style and all that kind of stuff and calling out Floyd, then I think, Mm, you know, maybe he's got some trick up his sleeve that, that the rest of us don't have. So mm. I don't know, man. Yeah, you know, Dwayne Ludwig's talked uh, on the show about the, the pull cross and how Connor's super dangerous with that. You know, from Southpaw, a lot of things to consider. But at the end of the day, odds are certainly stacked against him. Um, but this has brought about, you know, Connor's presence, 
I don't know if you got to see some of this press tour, but obviously a lot of trash talk. This is what everybody's most excited about, the lead-up to the fight. You come from the era of respectful athletes, you know, for the most part. Trash talkers were kind of a fringe thing back then. But now it seems that we're in the era of trash talk, and, you know, everybody seems to be doing it, some not so effectively. Um, how do you feel about the trash talking era in mixed martial arts? And what advice would you give to an athlete that just wants to kind of be themselves, but still promote well and still earn a good a good uh, percentage uh, in their career? Well, look, it's, it, the, that's kind of a thing that's unique to the Western world. You don't see a lot of it over here in, on, on this side of the globe in the trash talking. And when that becomes when that becomes the standard, then for somebody like me, it, uh, it, it's quite difficult to differentiate yourself from your, from your competition. You're right. I, I, I competed in an era where the fighters were viewed more as like respectful athletes. I mean, yeah, of course we had like Tito was a Huntington yeah, Beach bad yeah, boy. Yeah, and yeah. You remember the, 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 the ongoing battle between him and Ken Shamrock. I mean, those two guys legitimately didn't like each other. It was quite nice seeing them at the end of the trilogy, actually kind of bury the hatch in, in the, in the ring there and be yeah. like, Hey, much respect to you. And, and, uh, you know, for me, like, I, I don't mind the trash talk. It's like, I don't mind the trash talk, especially when, when an athlete is, when they're, um, when, when they're, they're funny and, and, and intelligent about the way that they approach their trash talk. Yeah. Just, you know, and I, I think like, for example, like Chael had always had a great, uh, stick for himself. Like Chael Sonnen, when he, when the trash talk he would do, he was, he was just funny about the way he approached it. He wasn't necessarily just personally attacking people, at least yeah, not most of the time. Out. Yeah, and it, and it was just—it was like he was having fun with it, and that was that was his persona as an athlete. And I never, like, when I would hear him do his stuff, I never viewed it as just being truly disrespectful to another athlete. I mean, there were occasional times where I'm sure he made comments or whatever, but all in all, and and, and to me that that stuff is kind of fun. But when you see these guys, that just you know, you see guys get on stage and weigh in, and they start shoving each other, and it's like, what history? What history do you have that causes you to do that? Truly, right? Um, because you're just trying to stand out, and and uh, and if, if you're going to stand out, like what really makes somebody stand out is is their words. I mean, that's why a guy like Connor stands out because he's be, because he's witty with his words. Chael stood out because he's witty with his words, not because they just get on stage and and, and shove somebody or or you know, I mean, in, in Connor's case, he threw a water bottle at somebody at a at a press conference. I mean, that's not the, those are not the things that make somebody stand out. You need you need to have some wit about you and 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 people like to listen to you talk and that's why people gravitate towards a guy like Connor. They like listening to him talk. Agreed, agreed. And uh, you know, like you said there, if it's not if it if it's animosity, it's got to be genuine. Otherwise, people kind of yeah. see right through it, and it just looks bad on both sides. But listen, and, and he, go ahead. Go I'll ahead. say this one one quick thing on on the trash talking the animosity. It's like I remember when I remember when uh when John John Jones and Daniel Cormier got on stage. Remember when they shoved when the shove went on and they yeah. knocked over the backdrop and all that on stage? Like I can remember seeing that and even my even my friends are like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see this fight now And I'm like, What's changed? I'm like, these guys didn't like each other before. I'm like, now I, do you think that because one guy shoved another guy that all of a sudden he's like, Oh, you know what? I'll tell you what, I was I was gonna come in this match at eighty percent, but now that you shoved me, oh, it's on. <laughs> like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what changes because there's a shove? You, do you suddenly think the match is gonna get any better or more entertaining, or they're gonna fight harder? Absolutely not. They're athletes, and these guys were training to go in there to to win in the first place. And so, if anything, it's only all it's going to do is create some sort of anger that will make you blow your energy and make the fight less exciting. Most times. 
Yeah, agreed, agreed. And <laughs> you make a very funny point there. I mean, you're contending for a world title. You're obviously going to put all of the effort into this that you can already just because the guy got shoved. You know, what makes you think that something is going to change dramatically uh, because of that? But listen, getting back to, to 1FC, how many more shows are you guys expecting for 2017? I know you said that there's a, a few going down within the next couple of months, but for 2017 as a whole, I mean, do you have a rough estimate of how many more shows we can expect? Maybe two in here. I'm guessing. I don't have the schedule on top of me. I don't know, eight maybe. Okay. I'm saying that with the, I'm saying that with a question mark. Eight, okay. nine, <laughs> somewhere in there, somewhere in that, somewhere in that zone. Now, another thing I wanted to touch on in in regards to to the one FC promotion. You guys name the events. They all have really cool names, like you know the UFC used to do. They don't do it anymore. Obviously, you get too high with the numbering, but you guys have stuck to this. You know, defending honor. Dynasty of Champions, uh, mm-hmm. at, you know, Ascent to Power, stuff like that. Really cool names. Who's the yep. driving force behind that? And you know, would you that's, agree that's that, that, that it's that's 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 all me. That's that's just my genius <laughs> and me alone. Shoot. Hey, no, I, we come up with names every show. And I'm like, how do they keep coming up with names? Like, I like I, I said this probably 30 shows ago. Like, they're gonna run out of names, but they don't, you know. And I. I, I I think it's a uh, part of our marketing team that, that, that does that. Probably a bit of the marketing team, a bit of uh, a bit of Matt and his team, the athlete competition team, and uh, and a bit maybe uh, maybe the board is in on that as well. So um, <clears throat> I don't know, but yeah, they, they come up with some some great names for events. But I, I will say this: the only disadvantage to really cool names is that you have trouble you have trouble remembering which yeah. event was which, you yeah. know. So. So, yeah, yeah, rather than just I, being I, able to say UFC number number number, you have to think of all yeah. of these different name combinations, and then champions usually part of that that the name of the of the of the uh, of the event. So, not not the easiest thing to do. Um, so, yeah. listen, what can we expect in regards to continued expansion throughout the Asian market for the for the promotion? Any new territories territories rather that you guys are going to be breaking into in the near future? Yeah, I mean, we're always, we're always, uh, well, people always ask us, like, are you coming to the States or anything like that? Like, that that would be a big, big jump for us to come all the way across the ocean. And, you know, we're, we're working on two new territories. We're always looking, you know, we're, you know, we've been uh, making a move for territories like Vietnam and, and, and Japan and Korea and stuff like that. And obviously, we just opened up a, an office uh, more recently in Shanghai. So we're making a big push in China. Like, that's where, where most of our efforts are going at this point in time. And, that's a, it's a tricky, tricky, tricky country to do business in if you're uh, if, if you're not a China-based organization. So that's why we, we decided to open an office there. So that's our that's our main focus at this point in time. But you know, in between now and then, there will be uh, we obviously have our business team is working on other deals as well. Okay. So just to recap, big things as always going down. One FC, big event coming uh, coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks here, July 29th. Askren, Vera, Lee, all all in the works eventually. A comeback for you is strictly just a hypothetical. Um, what can we all expect from One FC going forward, and will we ever see Rich Franklin back in competition anytime soon? Uh, I would I would say that um, you're not going to see me back in competition for sure within the next several months. Uh, that's the, that'll tie into the hypothetical aspect of that. And look, I, I, from from one, I, you're just you're going to see continued growth and expansion. Uh, you're going to see the growth and expansion in, in new territories like we just talked about. Particularly in China, and uh, and you, as the, the the organization continues to grow, you're just going to continue seeing exciting exciting matches. 
every event that we put on, um, our, Matt does just an amazing job matchmaking. And, uh, and there are oftentimes matches, or maybe even an entire event, there have been times for an entire event where I'm like, eh, this event's not as exciting as maybe one of our big card or, you know, type, like in my mind mentally, like, eh, this one's not going to be as exciting. And then, the, the, like, it's the greatest event ever. I'm like, man, Matt, how do you – how do you keep putting the, these matches together this way? It's amazing. So that's that's just what you're what you're going to see in the future, man. More more of, a, of the same good stuff that we're doing, refining our, our system as we go, and expansion into some new territories. Well, continued uh, building great talent, exciting events as you mentioned. Uh, certainly looking forward to for what the future has in store for you guys. Definitely looking forward to the event on the 29th. Um, thank you very much for the time tonight, man. I know we ran a little longer than you probably would have expected, but great conversation, and, and I appreciate you hanging in there for us. Um, anything you'd like to say before we let you go? Any shout-outs you'd like to get in? No, no. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm just here uh, chatting and having a good time. I appreciate the interview. It was uh, fun. I had a good time, so I don't, I don't mind us running over, man. Thanks for having, having me on. All right, awesome. Greatly appreciated, Rich. Looking forward to what the future has in store for you as well. And uh, maybe if that fight ever gets announced, we'll have you back on to talk about it. And uh, best of luck on the 29th of the event. Perfect. Sounds like a good plan, man. We'll chat. All right. Have a good day. Take care. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets. Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. GEICO presents eyewitness interviews with inanimate objects. This is Brian Bruno, live on the scene of a recent windstorm, here to describe the event, a chest of drawers. There's a storm howling outside, so I thought I'd stay in and watch a rom-com. Five minutes into the flick, a tree branch slams through the window. Were you hurt? <laughs> I just got a scratch on my chest. Your chest of drawers can't help you in a windstorm, but the GEICO Insurance Agency can help you get covered for personal property damage. Call GEICO to see how affordable homeowners insurance can be.